In the market for investment-worthy bags, watches, and fine jewelry, Rebag is the answer. Rebag is a luxury resale platform where each piece is carefully inspected by experts to ensure quality and authenticity. Use Rebag to buy and sell finds from the world's top brands, including Louis Vuitton, Chanel, and Cartier. Head to Rebag.com and get up to 15% off your first purchase as a member with code REBAGNEW. Shop today at Rebag.com. That's R-E-B-A-G.com. And use promo code REBAGNEW for up to 15% off your first purchase as a member. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hi, I'm Pav. And I'm Neil. And welcome to the Top 10 of Anything podcast. Let's start the countdown! 10, 9, 8, 7, 6, 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. As far as British comedy legends go, Eric Morecambe and Ernie Wise are hard to beat. From British theatres, BBC TV, ITV, and even movies, Eric and Ernie have made people laugh for decades and will do for decades more. Here's Neil with his short, fat, hairy legs and 10 Morecambe and Wise facts. <laughs> Thank you very much, Pav. So, Morecambe and Wise started as a double act in 1941. Mm. Hellfire, it's a sailor of the century. <laughs> Early in their career, Eric performed as Ern Straightman for a fil- for a short time. Oh, what an incredible pair! <laughs> <laughs> in 2013, the two were honoured with a blue plaque at Teddington Studios, where their last four series of the Morecambe and Wise show were recorded. Hey, it's no good doing that, mate. If you want season tickets to watch Luton Town, you've got to pay like everybody else. <laughs> Ernie made the first UK mobile phone call on the 1st of January 1985. That's it, that's it. I'm going to let it all hang out. Why not? It'll get a big laugh. <laughs> <laughs> the 1977 Morecambe and Wise Christmas special attracted around 28 million viewers, nearly half the population at that time. It's not nice to make fun of people who wear spectacles. <laughs> In 1976, Morecambe and Wise were both awarded the OBE. Straight your wig and go home, you. <laughs> the complete set of tapes for their first series, Running Wild, no longer exists. The BBC are currently looking for any off-air or private coffees. Can you help? Surprise. Surprise. She comes off, whips them off and his two fellas. No. In 2005, the monster-raving Looney Party's manifesto stated that they would change the national anthem to Bring Me Sunshine. They said it is quicker, more tuneful, and people know the words. Have you all got your fingers ready? (laughs) Ernie shares his birthday with a a plethora of famous people, including Jimi Hendrix, Bruce Lee. Eric shares his birthday with Bobby Darin and George Lucas. Where's that come from? Off me chest. (laughs) And in 2006, the public voted the duo number two in the TV show The UK's 50 Greatest Stars. No, it isn't. But don't no. blow too hard. No. 
<laughs> well, there we go. There we go. What a cracking start. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, we're here to do the Morecambe and Wise sketches. Now, 55% of our listenership are from the US, are from overseas. So this is going to be a little bit more of an education for you. Mm. And I do stress you should go and try and watch as much Morecambe and Wise as you possibly can. And we couldn't think of anyone better. Well, actually, this was... This was this gentleman's idea to do this. Uh, hopefully there's not been any trouble with his wife on his decisions on this one. But Kevin Day is back again. Hello, Kevin. Lovely to have you with us. It's a privilege to be asked back on to such a wonderful podcast. Bless your heart. Oh, make a big flash. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> so this was your idea. You came to us with uh, Morecambe and White sketches. Um I'm, I'm, I'm taking that you are obviously a fan. I think pretty much any anyone who's British of a certain age and would be comedy. a fan. Would be a, yeah, and likes comedy would be a fan of Morecambe and Wise. Where do you put them in the league table of comedy stars? For me, at the top, very top. But it's it, it's interesting. I'll say hello to your American listeners. I didn't realise we had so many US listeners. Um, they never quite broke the stakes. Ed Sullivan. Uh, who was probably the greatest TV star in the world in the 60s, was a huge fan of Eric and Ernie. He had them on about 11 times, flew them over, um, and they didn't, they, they wouldn't work with an American writer. So that they they worked, but only all rights. They're quite uncomfortable watching for anybody who loves Eric and Ernie because the audience don't quite get some of the parochial references, but they love the slapstick. And mm. Eric said one of the, only good things to come out of his heart attack was that Ernie gave up on breaking America because Ernie was obsessed with breaking America and and Eric was perfectly happy with making people laugh here mm. but for me it's you kind of get a false memory syndrome don't you know I, I get asked to do a lot of stuff a lot of talking head stuff about comedy and and they ask me to oh, tell us how you felt when you watched Dave Allen as a kid or how he walked once and I don't remember I don't know I remember laughing at Benny Hill because my dad laughed at Benny Hill, but I didn't know I was going to be a comedian at the time, so I wasn't making notes about stuff. Yeah. If I was watching Walking and Wise then, and I was, I was probably reading comics and doing something else while I was I was doing it. But it, it's when I became a professional comedian that I went back to revisit comedy history, became obsessed with it, and, and it's then that I, you know, Dave Allen's probably my comedy hero, but it's very different to Walking and Wise. I, I would put Eric and Ernie. And, and I'm sure we will discuss it. It's <clears throat> vintage uh, Eddie Braben, Eric and Ernie, if you like. Uh, for me, probably number one. And I, I think one of the myths we need to dispel about at Morecambe and Wise is that they were good, clean, wholesome family entertainers, which they were in a way, but they were also filthy. <laughs> they, some of you, you, and it's only when you look back as an adult, that you, and some of my favourite rude jokes come from from Eric and Ernie, just simple ones like, there's a sketch where uh, Eric says to, to to Ernie, Eric puts the phone down and Ernie says, who was that? And uh, Eric says, oh, it's just some big Hollywood director wanted to get hold of you, um, Alfred. And Ernie goes, Hitchcock? And he says, it's hard to tell on the phone. <laughs> it's, uh, um, there's another there's, there's another sketch where Eric plans to to saw Peter Cushing in half to stop him nagging them for the money that he owes them, and Ernie comes on and says says what's this? And he said it's a box for sawing a woman in a woman in half, and and Eric says to Ernie, do you want to get in it? 
And Ernie says, I'm not a woman. And Eric says, I haven't started soaring yet. <laughs> but also my my favourite, it's my favourite rude joke. And at the time, not many people would have got it. One of the brilliant things that Eddie Braben did was re uh, reinvent Eric and Ernie and gave them characters, if you like, rather than just a, a straight man, a funny man. Um, and he, he made Ernie quite pompous and a, a snob. And there's a lot of sketches in which Ernie talks about how his Christmases were better than so. And there's this one particular sketch when they were talking about the fact that Ernie's Ernie's parents were quite posh and they had an art collection and they mentioned a couple of pieces of art. And Ernie says, um, my mother had a whistler. And Eric says, there's a novelty. <laughs> uh, which is which is a, which is a fantastic joke. It, it's it's only I'm sure at the age of ten I wouldn't. But it's it's a, and they were getting away with this stuff all the time. Had the, the amount of times they used the word it were when Ernie would say, "Do you want a closer look at it?" And Eric say, "Have we got time?" And it's just, mm. it's just they they were wholesome, but they also came from this musical background. They both obsessed with musical and musical, despite what. You know, people like Jacob Rees-Mogg might like to have you think, or the Daily Mail might. Musical was filth. Yeah, musical musical was working class comedy for working class people who knew exactly how people's bodies worked. And well, so Eric came from that. Eric and Ernie came from that tradition. So for me, in terms of inventiveness, in terms of playfulness, in terms of wordplay, in terms of timing, in terms of all the things that make brilliant. Comedians of double acts, they were without doubt number one for me. They were the, they were the, the top. Uh, and, mm. and even now, researching this, and again, I've got a bone to pick with you because I thought the Disney songs one was was too, was difficult. Yeah, yeah. The only thing that's annoyed my wife is like even even last night, we're, we're recording this the day after Dominic Cummings' incredible, expletive laden evidence of the inquiry, which in any other week, I'd have been, but even last night, Ali's going, can we watch News at 10? We've got to see Dominic Cummings swear. He's like, no, no, I've got more Walker and Wise sketches to watch. <laughs> yeah. I've, got a, I've got a top 10, to, top 10 Walker and Wise moments to get through. So, uh, so yeah, for me, I, I don't think there's anyone to touch them. And there's a moment that we'll talk about, which I, I think is probably the high watermark in, in British comedy. I think, for me, without a doubt, probably the funniest three minutes of British TV comedy there's ever been. Right. Yeah. But I find it hard to remember as well a lot of the sketches because they did so much, mm -hmm. didn't they? And I when when we came to it, that's what I found hard to get my top ten around is I thought, my God, I can't quite place which sketches in which. Mm. You know, you remember bits and then I went on the You're, YouTube it's rabbit like hole. classic lines, and you remember yeah. classic lines and think, Oh, what, what sketch was it, that in? Or it might have been mm. in a longer, bigger mm. bit of them, you know, where they're in bed together or they're living together. It's a whole sketch of like that. But it was a nice rabbit hole to go back down and watch them all again and just see ones. I mean, I've got a sketch on there, well, a couple that I'd I'd completely forgotten about, and I thought, I'm going to have to add them because they really <clears throat> made me belly laugh. Yeah, well, I, I, it's why I wanted to suggest more common wise moments rather than mm. sketches and like and yeah, but the beauty of the sketch, there's no comedy that you go you look back on with fond memories. It's never ever as funny as you as you thought it was except Morecambe and Wise is close to that because the sketches are so long again we'll talk about that but their their hit rate in sketches there's at least two or three lines in every sketch mm. which, which is just as 
astonishing. It's a great hit rate. And and those those jokes, as we'll discuss, those lines justify the, the sketch in themselves. Mm. Yeah, but the the fact is as well that especially when they started working with Eddie Braben, they had such a structure to their, to their show that if you just did the sketches, you'd deny yourself the pleasure of so much stuff, all the front of curtain stuff they did, all the all the stuff with with taking the piss out of these world famous people. Yeah, just the little tiny sketches they did together, some of the songs. You deny yourself that. This is why I went for moments rather than sketches. Although, of yeah. course, some of the sketches are the are the real highlights. Basically, mm. I also think I completely agree with you, Kevin. We, before we actually came on air, I was, we, Neil and I was talking about um, looking back and about the fact that you think about Morecambe Wise, especially the Christmas specials and the age we were. We were, we were kids, and so those kind of it moments, like you spoke about, would go over our heads, but we would laugh about. The funny dances or doing funny things and the slapstick, if you like. Yeah, yeah, and the, and the costumes and yeah, yeah, and it's the it's the, not not necessarily rose tinted spectacles, but looking through the mists of time when you look back on them, it's like you realize, ah, right, that's why that bit was funny because there there's actually a bit of a sexual innuendo there that we didn't even it wouldn't have even occurred to us being seven, eight, nine, yeah. and in my mind for 15, 16, 18, 20, I would never have come. To my <laughs> well, it, it's funny because Lenny Henry presented a show uh, a couple of years back, which was um, basically an excuse to, to put together some, some uh, Morecambe wise sketches, but Gary Morecambe, Ernie's, uh, Eric's son was the guest on this. Each, so, so they spoke to him and they got some of the people back. So Glenda Jackson came back to all that. But Lenny Henry made this brilliant point. He said the reason he loved Lenny uh, and Wise so much was because he remembered the sound of his parents laughing. Yeah. Mm. Uh, yeah. And he said it was one of the few times, because, you know, he he grew up um, black in, in Dudley in the West Midlands in the 60s and 70s, a, a time of quite st- stress for black people, let's yeah. be fair. And he said it was one of the few times that all his family would be together. It sounds like a cliche, but and, and he would laugh because his mum and dad were laughing. But he knew that he they were laughing at something slightly riskier that he hadn't got. So it's only when you go back and watch it again, as as you just said there, Pat, it's like you go, oh yes, I mm. see what they were doing there, the rascals. Exactly. And also, it's it's only when it's only because I became and still am obsessed with the history of British comedy that I got so many of the references because they're always throwing in references to 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 old musical acts or to old musical things or to. Part of that, and it's at the time. There's no. I don't think my mum and dad would have got those references, but they just entertain themselves. They would refer to people who were long forgotten. A ventriloquist was long forgotten, and you could just hear a couple of camera people laughing, or, or maybe one or two really old people in the audience, mm. or you know the the, the classic um, uh, the, the classic Andre Previn thing with the with the orchestra. Yeah. When when Eric first sees the orchestra, Eric says, "Which one's the fixer?" Which gets nothing from the live audience, but it crease the band just crease up because every most bands in the in the thirties, forties, and fifties were were put together by somebody who got ten bob more for putting the band. He was the fixer. So the orchestra, yeah. these, these people, these posh, even this this posh LSO London Symphony Orchestra classical musicians got the reference. So there's 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 all of that. They, they're really proud of, of British comedy history, and that and that comes through. And I, and I think that also reflects in why they didn't ever really break America. And they did the two films to try and break America. But even in the films, 
the humor is quite parochial. It is, you can understand why American audience, yeah, I mean, now you, you would tell them to Google it, but at the time you can understand why they didn't quite get these two slightly older looking men because they were all, they, you forget how young they actually were, but they also, they looked older as everybody did. So there was a lot, but it's, and as I say, Ernie really wanted, because when, when Eric first met Ernie, Ernie was, was referred to as the Mickey Rooney of England. Mickey Rooney was this huge, obviously huge US film star. Yeah. But Ernie was really famous when he met Eric, when they were, Ernie was 13, I think he said it was back in 1941. And Eric, Ernie, Ernie was a, a well-known hoofer. He was called the pocket, the pocket rocket or something along those lines. And, and Eric was this gormless comic character. And, and as you say, in the introduction, initially, they decided to try and make Eric the straight one. It just didn't, didn't work. So Ernie kind of gave up a potential Hollywood career to, to do Morgan Wise for 40 years, but there was always that bit of him that wanted to break American. There was always a slight guilt for Eric that he never got the chance to do that. I mean, they, they were seen by, millions of people in the Ed Sullivan show. And it was quite clear that Ed Sullivan loved them, but Ed Sullivan used to see them here. So Ed Sullivan would see them at the Palladium and was convinced it would work over there, but they they never quite did. But for me, that doesn't matter, really. No. It, it, in a way, I think we would have lost something if they did become big international stars. Mm. For mm. me, for me, it's a long-winded introduction. I know we haven't started this happened before. <laughs> <isn't> it? we, <laughs> we, so we've got to be away by nine o'clock. Well, what's happening? Sorry. Let's... <laughs> Yeah. But no, you're absolutely right. I mean, go on, Neil, you were going to say something. I was just going to say, the one other thing is you can really see influences of their comedy sort of today or, or let's say sort of post, uh, sort of after um, Morecambe and Wise. And we were talking, especially Vic Reeves. Absolutely. The more I've watched it now, um, the, I mean, I always thought it, but the more I watched it now, I'm thinking Vic Reeves. Yeah. Vic Reeves. Vic Reeves. Well, even yeah. Reeves and Mortimer, they, yeah. they, they, they do a pastiche of the whole Morecambe and Wise. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, um, well, 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 Vic played um, uh, Eric's dad in a really good sort of drama documentary that Victoria, that's right, he did, uh, Victoria yeah. Wood started as a mum. So, oh, no, yes. no, uh, Vic and Bob, um, uh, Bob's Bob's the funny one in Vic and Bob, and the uh, and let's say the the one you'd rather have a drink with. But it, but <laughs> Vic, Vic is obsessed. I mean, Vic was openly. Um, very honest about his admiration for Vic and Bob and uh, for Morecambe and Wise. And Vic and Bob both wanted to copy that dynamic when there wasn't necessarily a feed man and a, a funny man. No. You know, which which there wasn't in the later part of, you know, in the BBC, Eric and Ernie, it was very much a double act when they both got laughs. Whereas in the early ITV stuff, which we'll discuss, it was, they were very much more old fashioned mm. uh, double act. But we'll, we'll come on to that. Yes, yeah. indeed. Let's uh, let's crack on then. Um, so we've got ten to run down. Uh, Kevin, what is your number ten? Well, you've had a line from it in um, uh, Neil's history there, basically. With uh, have you got your fingers ready? Because it's a sketch. It's a top of the form sketch from nineteen seventy. And the reason I've chosen this because I've tried to chose. Uh, uh, yeah, I, I think everybody listens to this, especially your UK listeners. I, th I think we'll probably all have three or four moments that we agree on. Yes. Uh, but I wanted to try and pick some that showed some of the slightly unusual, quirky stuff, some of the stuff that Vic and Bob particularly picked up on. And it, there was a show in the 60s called Top of the Form, which I, 
I, I know I didn't watch it as a kid because it was posh. It was on BBC Two. <laughs> and, and basically it was two teams of posh kids in posh school uniform asking questions. It was like a university challenge, but for sort of grammar school kids. So they do this spoof, Eric and Ernie. Have, so uh, Ernie's asking the questions and Eric is on the boys team. So you've got a team of girls and a team of boys, all of whom... I would say are in their mid thirties, quite clearly, quite clearly to middle-aged actors. So, and basically, the the cleverness of it is that Eric can't get his buzzer to work. He knows the answers, but he just can't get his buzzer to work. So, all the other kids are getting in, answering these questions, that he, and he just gets more and more crossed. Uh, and at one stage, he just shouts, "I don't know if this button's not working. If my fingers fused." <laughs> right, which is a, which is a line that Vic and Bob would have been absolutely proud of, but, but the choreography of it, of the lights coming on and his light not coming on, and then it comes on when he doesn't press it and he tries to get his finger to it and it goes off, um, and that's all very clever and there's some very funny lines in it and uh, <laughs> Eric gets exasperated, which he does very well. He does exasperation very well, but the twist at the end, which is great, which is why I wanted to include it, is that um, Ernie says, right, the last question, it's all on this. The winning, the winning team gets uh, two weeks in Mallorca, right? Which is a very unusual concept anyway. That for a, a quiz for fourteen-year-olds, yeah. the winners get. <laughs> and the girls' team end up winning, um, and the girls' team are sort of and, and uh, Ernie as the host says, "Well, what, what a shame that the boys won't be going to uh, Mallorca." And uh, Eric says, "You talk, you speak for yourself," and he gets up and he's wearing a short skirt. And white socks, and turns his head round, and he's got a ponytail on the back, a pigtail on the back of his wig, which he's managed to hide all the way through. So he just is. It's a very, it's a very British musical ending. That he, I'm going with the girls. I am a girl. Yeah, it yeah. comes, it comes out of nowhere, but it just it indicates. Like most comedians of the 60s and 70s, you didn't have to work hard to get them to dress as women anyway. No, no. But it comes out of nowhere because there's no indication that that's going to be the the ending. And it's it's not their best sketch by any means, but it's got some cracking funny lines in it. Mm. But I just wanted to include it as one that indicates the thought that went into the punchline, if you like, that the, 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 it's quite a long journey, but the picnic at the end is absolutely worth it. Yeah bit of ahead of its time as well a little bit yeah, yeah a yeah. little bit yeah yeah i mean yeah. I, I i i did see that one there i mean i didn't i've obviously i've got it on on my top 10 but um i, I agree with what you mean it's like it's, it's a vic and bob if vic and bob came up with a sketch of that in 95 or 98 or something like yeah, that you, you you would have would have wouldn't have been out of place at all not at all you you would you could just see bob mortimer getting up from behind the desk yes in mm. in, a, in a short girl's <laughs> skirt basically yeah yeah, yeah absolutely. You, you forget the fact that it's actually slightly sinister that a, a, a man's going on holiday with three school girls <laughs> to new yorker but it, it it doesn't matter because it's the way ernie it's the way eric delivers it as well because eric wins which is great it's and it's, it, it's funny but as i say i just wanted to include it as a it's because it's not a sketch that a lot of people would know no mm. no and what, what i will say is that for our patreon uh subscribers we will on the video playlist i will try and put every sketch that we talk about but one thing about youtube is that they haven't got a lot of stuff no. of more common ones especially I, I, a lot of the some of the ones that you can just think of from the top, top of your head which you know what? i was quite surprised by that because i yeah. i 
it's one of the reasons it took me a lot longer to research this than I thought, because I imagined that somewhere on uh, Sky TV, you know, somewhere on the on the playlist or somewhere on YouTube, every one of these sketches would be available. And I was surprised there's one we come on to later on, which I couldn't find at all in its entirety. And I was really yeah. frustrated because I was I was I was looking forward to sitting down and watching it and it's yeah, it's all, there's, there's little snatches of, of some of them and I, I don't know if these are copyright issues or what have you but even on on iPlayer I thought well, yeah, surely BBC will have a huge selection of, of Eric Morecambe and Ernie Wise stuff but but no and it was no. it was much more difficult than the the Disney song ones we did before where there was nothing that wasn't available exactly yeah very strange very strange. yeah and as you say there's 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 nothing of their first original uh, Running Wild, the the fifties BBC series, mm. which was a disaster, and it's it's quite possible that Eric and Ernie themselves made sure there was nothing available. But in, yes. in, in those days, the BBC didn't keep tapes; they they reused them, they recorded right. they recorded over them. There's there's I think there's two of the BBC series from 1970 are missing, but strangely enough, you can get more of the ITV series. On YouTube, the the one in the sixties, yeah, um, two of a kind. Then you can of the BBC stuff when, which I was really surprised by because I mean, there's, there's there's not one minute of Dad's Army, for example, that you can't watch. No, all the two Ronnie's classic sketches are are there for availability, but for the Morecambe and Wise stuff, not a lot. Yeah, very strange. Mm. Those tapes are probably in a, in a vault somewhere with the Star Wars Holiday Special. <laughs> <laughs> probably where they are. Again with the Star Wars Holiday Special. Indeed, <laughs> indeed. Uh, that's what we want to do. Perfect. Top 10 moments of the Star Wars Holiday oh. Special. There you go. Can't Go on then, Neil. You, you're number 10. Moment. I can't even get through it. <laughs> yes. So the same as Kevin, I, I went down watching something and, and sort of refreshed my mind with a lot of Mop and Wise. Couldn't remember a lot of it or remember snippets. So... While I was watching the YouTube, uh, I came across a Jungle Book sketch, which links us into our last podcast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But if you remember this, it's basically Eric and Ernie miming to um, the King Louis uh, song. Yeah, I want to be like you. I want to be like you, Um, which isn't particularly funny, although you do realise what a good dancer Ernie was in that sketch. He really is a good dancer, but it's when Eric comes out as Baloo that gave me such giggles and pleasant giggles that I haven't had in a long time, where, where I was proper belly laughing when Eric was dancing. Now, I always laugh at the, I can't remember their names now, the guys that used to do the sandbox dance, you know, the Egyptian. Uh, Wilson, uh, Be- Wilson, Betty and Kevin. Yeah. Who, always, get, who are referred to in the Glenda Jackson and uh, Anthony and Cleopatra sketch. Yeah, exactly. They, they do that stand-up. They yeah. talk about it later on. Yeah. Always find those laugh. And, but Eric is dancing as Baloo, did a lot of those sort of movement movements, the, the shuffles, the, the the bits. But it had me in stitches. And I thought, you know, if it's doing that, and a lot of the other sketches I pre-watched hadn't la- made me laugh as much as that, I thought I'm going to have to put it in. So that's why I put it in I, my top ten. I think one of the reasons... Uh, and it's a it's a cliche, but when when my son Ed, who's now a comedian, Ed Knight, was four, five, six, he loved Morecambe and Wise. He still does. He still does. But and I've talked. To, it's partly the joy. You can just see how happy Eric is performing. Mm. When when Eric saw that costume, I imagine his eyes lit up. But also, you can see Ernie. So many times he's trying not to laugh. Ernie, Ernie just looks really proud. Yeah, that they're yeah, making that... that they're making people laugh, and there's there are lots of moments like that. I mean, there was one sketch I was thinking about. I think it was the very first sketch that 
Ernie Braben wrote when they went to the BBC, which was a, a Robin Hood sketch, Robin Hood and Little Urn, which, uh-huh. which again is all right. It's not a bad sketch, but there's just one moment in it when the the, the sheriff of Nottingham is, has, has caught them in the castle and is going to is is telling Richard the Lionheart that he's going to kill him and they're all going to die, and he's got his guards with him. And it's a bit. And Eric just turns around and clocks the camera, and just starts looking at the camera, he ignores the actor playing the ship, just looks at the camera, and then Ernie spots the camera, and he just turns around, and he's just smiling at the, at the yeah, camera. Yeah. And then Francis Matthews, Richard, he, he just starts, and eventually they're all just, and then a couple of extras come in, and they're all just looking at the camera, And because Eric loved that sort of breaking the fourth wall stuff. Eric loved mm. acknowledging that, that they were talking to people, and there are little moments like that, which, you know, it, it's not... Again, it's not the best sketch, but those little moments. And then just, you watch it and you just go, I don't know why I'm laughing at this, but it's just, it's just funny. And Eric, and they do a Sylvester and Tweety Pie sketch as well, which is just, mm. it's just funny with it, 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 sitting on the swing. It's just, and him dressed as blue, it's like, like you say, it's not, it's not the best, but it's, no. you just smile no. anyway. You just get yeah. swept up with it. Yeah. But it's, 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 the, it's the joy that I got from it as well, I think, that made me put it down. I don't know why it was like you said it wasn't really well done sketch they're just, they're only mining although I really was impressed with Ernie's dancing in that one. Yeah, well, Eric's not a bad dancer either, but Ernie no. was Ernie was a really really good dancer, and you see that they 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 do quite a lot of song and dance numbers, top hat and tail yeah. stuff, yeah. and they uh, partly because they enjoy doing it so much. Yeah. Mm. But that's the music hall part of it, isn't it? That's uh, very much so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The one thing I was, I was when I was looking through all the the different clips that I could actually sort of get my hands on. Whenever I look at anything from the seventies and maybe the eighties, it always looks dated, and you always have that little bit of a cringe, and you think, oh, you know, wheel tappers and shunters. Oh and, god, yeah, yeah, and, yeah. And you know, you know, velvet jackets and massive yeah, collars. Yeah. And I, and yeah. I always look at it, and I always think, oh god, you know, everything looks brown and beige, and never seems to be sunny in the 70s for some reason. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But that, I never get that feeling with Morecambe and Wise. It always feels timeless, even though they're doing something which is like directly from Music Hall. They're just dancing. They're tap dancing in front of you. And you're supposed to take that as entertainment. But it never, ever feels dated. I never feel that icky sort of 70s feel that I do when I'm watching, well, whatever it would be. You know, even if it's like Cannon and Ball or something like yeah. that, another double act. You think, oh, my God, that feels so 1980s. Whereas... For them, it just seems timeless. I think that's a really good point. And we'll come on to this. If you look at some of the 60s stuff, the early 60s stuff on ITV, it, 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 that is dated. They're, right. they're, they're a very different couple then. And yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it, some of the stuff they talk, it grates. Mm. Yeah, they, they talk about paddies. There's a like a sketch they do when they dress as leprechauns in terrible Irish accents. And there's this. Oh, right. Terribly misjudged IRA gag in there. It's like, oh, right. <laughs> but they they changed when they went to the BBC. But so I, I and I think that's partly due to Eddie Braven. They I, I think their their attitude to women was so different to other acts' attitudes to women because the amount of huge female stars they had on, uh, and they would take the Mickey out of their status a little bit. Oh yeah, but it's, yeah. essentially the women always got the last word. You know, they had this woman called Anne Hamilton who was in most of their sketches. Who they clearly adore, and you've got these two characters. Whereas in in the ITV series, they're quite lechy. They, they talk about birds a lot in the ITV series. Where in, in the BBC series, you think these two blokes have never talked to a woman in their life. They're really yeah. innocent. They're really innocent and childlike. And there's a sort of Laurel and Hardy feel to them that you you kind of they're not 
you can't be alienated by them. And 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 I think it's an odd thing to say, but I think because they were so rooted in 40 years of musical comedy, that kind of does the opposite of dating them in a way. You'd, you'd think, because I look, I mean, I look at, I'm going to mention this in a minute. I, I, I find watching the two Ronnies hard now. I have to say, there's a lot of, talking about especially, that. especially yeah. in, their, in their later stuff when there was a lot of, you know, they they recreated the famous four candle sketch in their last series, but as as a, as an Asian shopkeeper and an Irish navvy buying stuff, and it's it's not it's not good, and you know they had that terrible dreadful mini series when women ruled the world. It's called the That's worm right. that turned, and they the they had turned, yeah. they had the the men's liberation front. Whereas I think you're absolutely right with the Eric and Ernie, even though it is rooted in its time, for me it doesn't date at all. Yeah. And yeah, some of the some of the references you you find it hard to get, and especially yeah, yeah. a lot of the time when they do when they do fake credits on sketches, you go, I, I'm going to have to look up who that is and why the audience are laughing at it. But yeah. there is a there is a timelessness to it. I think I think you're absolutely right. Yeah. Well. Uh, it's uh, my number ten. It's not a. It's a moment, but it's a moment that was in every single show, and it's the "Bring Me Sunshine" song. That's my number two. Yeah. Oh, is that really? your number two? Yeah. Oh, okay. No, I, it's because I don't, I can't. The reason it's so high for me, I'll let you explain yours quickly. But the reason it's so high quickly for me was because I can't think of more common wives without hearing it. Yeah. And yeah. I think, well, it's got to be something big because they sort of own that song. Yeah. Oh, and and yet yet the irony is. Uh, they didn't finish that the show with that song every week. They had five mm. or six songs. Oh, really? They, was they that, they, that they rotate Mandela with. effect. Yeah, so they they had there's a song called Positive Feeling, which they used a lot. Um, a song called Following You Around, but everyone, I, I, I tell you the only reason I didn't put Bring Me Sunshine in is because I I didn't have time in my top ten, to be perfectly honest, but. Uh, yeah, at Eric's funeral. That was a song they played as he mm. was being brought into the. Into the my dad's funeral. We had the good, the bad, and the ugly, which is oh. it's great as it reflects. But it's you can't. Ed Ed can do that. Ed, in fact, I heard Ed. Yeah, Ed was clearly noticed what I've been researching. So he's been going in. He's twenty eight. He's been going in and out of the kitchen doing. Bring me sunshine, but with the arms behind the back, yeah. and like, it's it's one of those things. It's impossible. It's impossible to hear the first couple of notes without mm. uh, either a smiling or or b doing the doing, doing the dance. Doing and the it's dance. Yeah. yeah, and it's weird because that look, the point I was making earlier on is, I think if it was anybody else and they were singing that song like to the camera, you'd be going, "Oh, this is a bit. This is a bit." I don't, I don't, but it's because it's them, and because you love them so much, it's never yeah. once bothered me. I just love that song. Well, it, it's it's, it, it's a strange story to interrupt, Pub. It's a strange thing as well because it's um, you know, the two Ronnies always ended with a big musical production That's number, right. yes, they did, yeah. which was always very clever. The words were always very clever. The costumes were fantastic. It was big numbers, um, and I, I think Eric and Ernie. Deliberately, because it's never, the other thing that's really odd, and I found this in my research, because I always associate Eric and Ernie with Saturday nights. Absolutely. And it turns out they were never on Saturday night. There was a couple oh. of the Christmas specials were on Saturday night. Their shows were always either on a Wednesday or Thursday. Saturday night was two Ronnies night, and the BBC didn't want to to mix them out. They didn't want to have a two Ronnies and then Morecambe and Wise following it 
so I, I, I think, I think it's very possible because there always was a rivalry that Eric Nerny deliberately had that simple number at the end, just as a contrast to to the two Ronnies. Because also, Eric Nerny liked doing it. They they'd been doing it for many years, and it's just part of the joy because they it's just two men who who are so enjoying each other's company. It's like you get the feeling with Cannon and Ball, who are both of whom I've met and uh, I'm perfectly happy if I never meet them again. One of them would be very difficult to meet again yes. without going <laughs> going for a, a, a seance. But I, I, I never got to meet Eric. And I wish I had because I, I don't know anyone. A lot of my inside information about Eric and it comes from Barry Cryer, who wrote some stuff for them and was also the warm-up man for most of their BBC shows. Right. Uh, he, he just hasn't got a bad word. To say about them and he said the things they loved each day that they adored each other's company and they were never happier than doing that dance and because you know eric in particular knew that there'd been a good show the recording was over and they did that and the audience you, you like i say it's even though it wasn't it's the song they always ended with in everybody's mind it is the song they always ended with yes yeah. so in a kind of strange metaphysical way that's what it's it's become. Two friends of mine, John T and Ian, did a, a Walk and Wise tribute show, um, sort of to, to 2017, 18, uh, 19. And they got permission from uh, the estate, from Eric Morgan's wife and family, to do 45 minutes of a, an Eric and Ernie show. And they're, both, they're brilliant mimics. They both capture Eric and Ernie perfectly. And the, the first half of the show is a kind of strange framing device when uh, Eric's in hospital, Ernie comes to visit him and they reminisce, and it's, that's fine, it's funny enough. But in the, I can't remember which, it's one of the classic 1973 shows. They just do the show, they, every word of it. And I've never seen an audience response like it. And these, most of the people in the audience can't have ever seen Eric and Ernie live. But you, and when they do bring me sunshine at the end, the whole place so it's just astonishing, and everyone's on their feet, and everyone's clapping, and it just an indication of the the affection that they have. And, and this is not just elderly people in the audience; it's, it's a, a mixed Edinburgh audience, and it's just an indication of how funny the material is, full stop. But also the joy that even other generations, that the by osmosis, have picked up on the fact that this is just a gleeful, joyful. Song and because Eric, as Eric famously said, we're not about politics, we're not about we just want to make people happy, which yeah. is a very laudable ambition, I feel. Yeah, absolutely. And also, it means it means like a lot to me, and I'm, I'm sure to Neil because on one of our live shows, we did that, didn't we, Neil? We did, we did. bring me sunshine, we did, we we opened, we did. and it was, yeah. and, it, and you, it's a song everybody knows, isn't it? Yeah. That's the thing, it's a song everybody knows. And I bet um, you had a brilliant time doing it as well, didn't absolutely. You? We did, it was so much fun, to be fair. Yeah, of course, we did it, it really did, yeah. absolutely. Um, right then, Kevin, you're number nine, then, please. Well, there's a two Ronnie's collection, uh, connection here because, um. Arguably, one of the two Ronnie's most famous sketches is the Mastermind sketch. Yes, um, where they answer the question before the previous question, and it, and it's very clever. It's very witty, um, and they go to great lengths to um, completely copy the Mastermind set down to every detail. They actually borrowed the real chair. They've got the same lighting. They've got Magnus Magnuson's desk um, in 1974, which was, I think. The same year, Eric and Ernie did a mastermind sketch, which in terms of set, you can only describe as shonky. Right? <laughs> they, they, they haven't made any effort 
to recreate the studio. But what they've done is they've got the real Magnus Magnusson in, the host of Mastermind, to answer questions. So it, it starts with Ernie, uh, so name, Ernie Wise, uh, place of education. Um, and he says, uh, Harrow University, Oxford, which is already fan. He's very pumped. And so he, he starts asking him these really complicated general knowledge questions. And by the end of it, Ernie's answering questions off the back of the first word, and he gets 10 out of 10. Then Eric gets called forward, and for no reason, Eric's wearing plus fours, right? <laughs> which you don't you don't see until he's, he's, he stands up to sit down. Um, and it says, name Eric Morecambe, place of education, uh, Hildenstone Junior Infant School. Uh, so, and then, so he asks him the first question. The first question is, little Bo Peep has lost her what? And there it goes, cardigan. Uh, and Magnus says, no, that's wrong, I'm afraid. And Eric says, well, hang on, what, what's a cardigan made of? And Magnus goes, wool. And where do we get wool from? Sheep. And Magnus goes, oh, that's correct. Thank you, one for me. <laughs> so, then, so then basically it's Eric stealing, but there's, there's, a, there's a fantastic callback in it. The second question is, and one of the most famous little bits is, you know, that <clears throat> Arsenal, it's where Eric and Ernie, Eric's pretending to be the memory man, uh, I'll the film 39 Steps, but has no memory of anything. So Ernie has to keep hinting at him. And there's a question where, uh, who won the FA Cup in 1930? And Ernie goes, <coughs> Arsenal. <laughs> so there's this is brilliant. So the next question Magnus Magnusson asks, and is who won the FA Cup? Eric, who won the FA Cup in 1930? Ernie coughs. Eric goes, Arsenal, correct. Uh, <laughs> and there's a bit, so Ernie just gets furious. But it, but it was a, and then Magnus Magnusson gets cross and says, look, we have to say says to, to Eric, you, if you don't know the answer, you have to say pass. This is getting ridiculous. Uh, and Eric said, and this is a genius line. And Eric says, you're quite right, Magnus. Um, this is not a bingo hall. And Magnus goes, two right. And Eric goes, two for me. Like, <laughs> it's just, and and, it, and it, it, it all builds to do. So it ends up, it's, it's 10 all. And for some reason, Eric gets an extra question. And Magnus says, like, you've got to... I can't stress this enough. If you don't know the answer, you you just have to say pass. And and the question is, uh, it says it's geography. And then it goes, oh, great, geography, perfect. Uh, and Magnus Magnuson says, uh, it rises in the Kindar Mountains. It travels 2,000 miles. It's the main alleyway between Afghanistan, Pakistan, and the Indian Bubbler. It's the Khyber. And Eric just goes, Ah, pass. Correct. <laughs> yeah. which, is, which is the first time. But it's, it's just, it's even more so than the two Ronnie Skate. It's just, for me, just cleverer writing. Mm. It it just illustrates a change, and I'll come on to this in the next bit, a change in their, in their relationship. The fact that they had the confidence not to build the set, because they didn't need to, because they, they knew that the, the jokes were funny in themselves. And it and just the fact that it starts with Eric, for no, and there's no reason why he's just he, he's got the same jacket on as Ernie, but when he gets up, he's wearing plus four. So the audience are already giggling as soon as he just makes the. the and for me, again, it's not the most famous sketch, but it again it just indicates the cleverness of some of their wordplay, which I think is quite often overlooked. Mm. You know, people remember the slapping around the face and the grabbing by the lapels and the is he wearing a wig and the short fat hairy legs. 
but some of their wordplay was was fantastic. It's up there with the stuff that we hail as genius for the two Ronnies, but with so much more charm. And and also so much more. There's an element that the, the two Ronnies, the two Ronnies were never a proper double act. They were two, they were an actor and a comedian who got thrown together. Yeah, yeah. They never did stuff together. But there's an element with Morgan and Wise that again adds to the entertainment. There's an element of how are we getting away with this. Whereas when you watch the two Ronnies, you, you kind of Ronnie Barker in particular is consumed by his own cleverness. Sometimes you know you 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 know that they know. It's clever, witty wordplay, whereas Walking and Wise are just literally <laughs> why are people laughing at this? And it's partly because it is just as clever as the two Ronnies, but they're just enjoying them. They're just two blokes who love what they're doing. Yeah. And like you say, that glint in, in Eric's eyes, he he's he he knows that you know that. Absolutely. Yeah. And it's weird because, like, I still do that when I cough and I say Arsenal. Everybody does that. Yeah. <laughs> Everybody of a certain generation, Pam. I mean, yeah, of a certain yeah. generation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Um, okay, then, Neil, you're number nine, please. So I'm going back to a sketch that um, I'd sort of forgotten about. Um, I remembered it a lot uh, a lot differently to what I rewatched it, but it still had some very funny moments. And it's the Frankenstein, Frankenstein sketch with Ian Carmichael. Eric plays Igor, and on they've got the bench in there, and they're trying to bring it back. And it's full of obviously a lot of Eric's quips and everything, and talking to the camera, looking at the camera. But also, it's really funny that they decided to place Ernie as the monster in the table. <laughs> when he comes off, he's got the huge head, and he's very—I mean, he's not very well dressed. It's very <laughs> shoddy costume, but it—it's just very, very funny, very funny. Um, it, but it's all down to Eric on that one with the, playing Igor. And his addresses to the camera constantly, you know, breaking mm. that fourth wall. It's it's fantastic. But well, did, yeah. sorry, so I was going to say that there's there's a sketch they do in their first uh, series for when they moved back to ITV after the end of their BBC contract, and he didn't have Eddie Braben writing for them because he was still contracted to BBC. So Barry cried. But there's a, it, it's probably the best sketch of the their later years at ITV, and it's with Judy Dench. Uh, but it's it's Jekyll and Hyde, right? And it, it it it's worth it just for the fact that it's Eric that plays the monster, mm. which is really so. Ernie does all the camp stuff, and he takes the thing, and he goes down behind the counter, and it's Eric that comes up <laughs> with this terrible fake hairy ears. Oh, I remember. But that. but yeah. just gleeful. But it's worth it for the running joke because Eric's obviously still down behind the bench where where obviously Eric had been. Through the whole through the whole sketch for the first five minutes, Eric had obviously been hiding behind the, the desk, and and Judy Dench and, and Ernie had clearly not referred to it. But when Eric comes up as the monster, he just constantly steps. So every time he goes behind the desk, he takes this massive, hugely it's exaggerated step, step over <laughs> over Ernie's body, which is just it's just a brilliant just a brilliant running joke. It's just really 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 fun judy dench is brilliant in it but mm. it's it's again because you it's just the fact that eric makes such a terrible monster yeah he, <laughs> just, he just revels in it and it, it's interesting how so much of their stuff they they plundered sort of classic literature mm. for their stuff mm. you know king arthur robin hood jekyll and hyde all sorts of all sorts of stuff that they sherlock holmes every yeah they plundered all sorts of noel coward um, and and these are references that the audience would have would have absolutely known and understood. Mm. Totally well, very funny. And always great to have a great straight man like Ian Carmichael in it. It makes all the funnier mm. or something like that. 
Well, that's a really good point because they so they very rarely get the fun. They they always get a funny line or a payoff. Yeah. That Eric and only loved working with straight actors because the straight actors were really good actors. Yeah, yeah. And that, so they always acted as like the baseline to every sketch that Eric and only could then muck about around the around the the decent actors. Exactly. And all the all these top actors were fighting to come and be on like the Christmas specials and mm. on, absolutely, yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, uh, my number nine um, is another one that showcases um, Ernie's singing, uh, well, da- singing and dancing skills. It's the singing in the rain oh, sketch. Yeah. Um, I mean, I love that movie. Is that your number five, Neil? Is yeah. it? I think um, this is brilliant. Yes. It's it's a simple concept. It's it's basically the singing in the rain number from the movie. So it's it's uh, Ernie Wise instead of Gene Kelly, yeah. um, and Eric Morecambe is just a, a copper there just standing in the wrong place at the wrong time and getting absolutely soaked at all these yeah. different moments. But it does show you just what a great song and dance man uh, Ernie Wise was. He wasn't just a straight man. Um, he was the British Mickey Rooney, if you like. You I, know? Well, also, I think what that illustrates, and I, I took a pun that some of the things I didn't put in, I, I, I hoped that you would. We would. So, <laughs> so we could talk about them. But what that indicates is, is there are... I think there are three or four times that Eric gets soaked yeah. in a long sketch. But for the rest of it, Eric is perfectly happy to stand back and watch Ernie dance. Mm. I mean, it's about four or five minutes long, and it's just a showcase. And you can see how happy Ernie is. Yeah. Right? And I, I love Gene Kelly. I've got a, I do. A, I think Gene Kelly, you know, Gene Kelly was, for want of a better, a proper bloke. He was a real man's man and he based a lot of his dancing on sports moves but some of the, some of his stuff not just in the 40s films but later in the films, are just brilliant but ernie catches it and ernie is just in seventh heaven doing this and it's one of the more elaborate sets they have yes, so absolutely. so so eric gets these laughs but he's really happy to sit back and watch his mate have his moment you know because every now and again i just think it was great for ernie to remind the people that he was great. He was really good at what he did. Mm. Yeah, because yeah. I think a lot of straight men would all be classed as the ones that didn't have the talent because they weren't. Yeah, they weren't the laughs. Yeah. They were the guy there to set it up for the funny man to knock it out of the park. Yeah. But Ernie, and again, the one thing you were saying earlier on as well, um, Kevin, about like looking back in the past, and we and Neil and I was talking about this earlier on. I can remember loving Morecambe and Wise when I was little, but when they went back to ITV, I can remember getting very bored. Yeah, because they weren't as good as they were when they were on the BBC. Yeah. Now I don't know. Looking back on it now, I realise it was because they didn't have the same writers and it wasn't the same. But also, it was the introduction of things like in the mid eighties, the Young Ones, yeah. and not yeah. the not the nine o'clock news, where they they famously did um, uh, the song that was a piss take of the two Ronnies. You know, yeah, yeah. You know, I'm, I'm pissing up and down on the Willy Bum Bum, and just, yeah, yeah. T- just totally like destructing that whole idea of these two famous people like doing stupid comedy but it's just it's interesting when you look back on that with you know through the mists of time it's interesting as well with the the young ones which now looks really dated it does when you go back to it and the thing with the young ones and i've said this to people involved in the show you know they started by kicking down the opening titles of uh, The Good Life. The Good Life, that's mm. right, yeah. But, uh, the, which represented everything that is t- twee and, and fake about BBC comedy. The irony being that the, the Young Ones was written by um, graduates from Bristol or Manchester University, all of whom were from 
uh, middle class to upper class backgrounds. Yeah. Mm. And The Good Life is written by two uh, comprehensive schoolboys, Esmond and Larby from, from South London, who never got anywhere near university. So but I, I think the point with the when they went to ITV, Eric was ill, but Eric had had a couple of heart attacks That's by right, then. Yeah. They they had different people writing for them. They they also the, sh- the shows were shorter and had commercial breaks, so it changed the rhythm of the thing. And ITV had them doing more stuff with ITV stars, if you like, which right. w- were less well known. So yeah, I think one of the again, we mentioned one good sketch. One of the other only decent ones was when um, John Ford and Dennis Waterman. Uh, uh, we're in a, they, they did a kind of Sweeney thing as well, but they also did a, a, a sort of foreign legion sketch, which was all right. But you you don't really they look they just look a bit older and a bit more tired. Yeah, and they look like the world has moved on a little bit. Anyway, the, the odd thing is at ITV, which is odd, they would only let the two guys from the Sweeney go on Morecambe and Wise if Morecambe and Wise were in the Sweeney. So there's a bizarre episode of the Sweeney where. Um, some kind of Russian drug smuggler is using his girlfriend and his girlfriend is a, a magician's assistant on the same show as Morecambe and Wise. So you see you see the Sweeney going into this cabaret room with Morecambe and Wise performing and, and there's a line with them. And it's just, and it, you can see Morecambe and Wise are not really comfortable with it. They're, they're work, working, I've done, I've worked for both the BBC and the ITV and it, they're very different processes. Not necessarily one's better than the other, but at the BBC, they really tend to leave you to get on with it. So even if you're working for a production company, the BBC, unless you're breaking the law or or there's a, there's an obsession now with balance, they BBC will still let talent pretty much get on and make the show. Whereas at ITV, and it's always been the case, they're they're much more they're all over it. And for example, you even you have to be careful. They will know who's buying space in the commercial breaks, for example. So they wouldn't be happy with somebody doing a, a, a sketch that didn't like cars because that might put off car companies. So there's, and also like say an ITV hour is 48 minutes. A BBC, right. a BBC hour is 58 minutes. And and when when Eric, when Eddie Braben did come back to them for the last series at ITV, he found it really difficult to write with that, um, limited frame you know because the shows at BBC were so structured so it's it, it in a way I almost wish they'd retired after their last Christmas special on BBC because then you'd have nothing but the greatest memories of them and it's like and again some of the ITV stuff is all right it's fine and if you hadn't seen the BBC stuff you'd go yeah, it's all right but you're absolutely right it's clear that they were aware that the world is moving on yeah, yeah, and yeah. It's something that Ronnie Barker was angry about. I mean, there's a famous Ronnie Barker got really stroppy with Ben Elton on a on a Parkinson, and the, the irony is that people like Ben Elton had the, the utmost respect for the people like the two Ronnies. But it, at the time, and I remember this because it was when I was, I was, I was Mark Thomas and I were described as a third wave of alternative comedy. And my dad was furious with me that he couldn't watch Benny Hill anymore because. It, it it wasn't my fault. My, it wasn't me and Mark Thomas. It wasn't Ben Elton. It wasn't Alexi Sale who said these programs have to go. And for a time in the in the early eighties, these these programs coexisted. Alexi Sale wasn't on the telly. 
in, and Cannonball was on the telly and Russ Abbott was on the telly. It, it, it's just that we kind of won in the end, but none of us wanted to see people like Benny or Tomo kind of thrown off the TV. But it's 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 like Eric and I already knew, I think, that their time had had passed in a way. Yeah. There's a certain there's a certain world weariness about the last stuff at ITV. I think you're right. Yeah, no, that's fine. Okay, so Kevin, you're number eight then, please. That's, that's damn me with the faintest of praise. Yeah, that's fine, yeah. I didn't mean it like I that. know you didn't. Uh, um, uh, my number eight is I, I, I did want to, to reference the ITV stuff because I think we sometimes forget. So they were on ITV. The show was called Two of a Kind. I think it was from 1961 to 19... 68 so it was their comeback they'd been off tv for five years because the bbc series had been a disaster in the mid 50s but they came back and did this this series and it was really popular it was huge viewing figures but it was a very different beast um and eric and ernie's relationship was very different ernie was cunning and a bit snidey and sharp and it, and his role in the show was to get one over eric the whole way through eric was a bit of an a bit of a gormless idiot um who at the same time was constantly randy and constantly trying to... so it's, it's a slightly uncomfortable and they had the two writers sid and dick sidfield and dick hill who were in every sketch as well so they wrote themselves into everything so it's it, it's so different to, to what eddie braben created for them character wise but because it was such a popular series they got the biggest guests and in 1964 they had the beatles on mm. And I was really pleased when you when you tweeted that we were talking about uh, Eric and Ernie. I was really pleased that so many of your uh, listeners responded, including this moment, because the whole show is pretty much dedicated to the to the Beatles. It's like it's a forty eight minute show. The Beatles do like five or six numbers. Eric and Ernie do a couple of sketches in between, but then at the end, before the Beatles' last two numbers. Ernie goes out to say hello to them. Uh, Ringo's not allowed to leave the drum kit, so it's the uh, it's John Paul and and George. And then, so Ernie's having a little chat, and then Eric Eric comes out, and and it's a reference again that nobody will know. Now he went, oh my god, it's the K Sisters, the Beatles, who are three musical sisters. But then it, it's a five minute interview with, uh, uh, and it's really interesting because he refer. <laughs> He keeps referring to Ringo as anything other than Ringo. When he first comes out, he goes, oh, it's Bongo. <laughs> uh, and then he calls him Bonzo and he calls him Bingo at one stage, which the other three clearly like. Yeah. But there's a brilliant moment with um, John Lennon. And John Lennon uh, later said it was his favourite TV appearance ever. Mm. But John Lennon, as we know, was a chippy little young man. He was quite aggressive. He could be quite arrogant. Oddly enough, obsessed with he was he obsessed with the Goon Show, and obsessed he had a, a, a sort of encyclopedic knowledge of British comedy, but he clearly wants to take Eric on, um, and when Eric shakes his hand, Lennon sort of grabs him into him, and he and he starts saying, "Oh yeah, I remember you. I was, apparently, you were very funny back in the day." And Eric kind of like it doesn't look like it's rehearsed, but. Um, and it, obviously this is a gesture that most people won't be able to, none of people will be able to see, but John Lennon holds his hand over his knee and says, I remember my dad 
telling me about you uh, this high. And Eric just goes, oh, you, was your dad very little? <laughs> and there's a moment, the other two just break up laughing. And then there's a pause. And then John Lennon just does, John Lennon suddenly thinks, he's better than me. Yeah, guy. yeah, yeah. But then they have this two-minute, <laughs> this is brilliant, two-minute <laughs> conversation, which is just very funny, which is mainly between Eric and, and John Lennon. Uh, and then they agree that they're going to do a number together and Eric goes off to get ready. Uh, and for some bizarre reason, the Beatles, who were about to become the biggest band in the world, agree to Ernie's request that they do a song called Moonlight Bay. So they come, they go off. Again, Eric Ringo's not allowed to leave his drum kit. So they go off and come back in like straw boaters and old-fashioned blazers and start doing this uh, really old-fashioned musical number with with Ernie, this sort of soft shoe shuffle. Eric comes back on dressed as a beetle. Uh, so they, again, confusion. But the, the, the bit at the end, and this comes back to what I talk about, Eric and Ernie being rather rude. There was a running joke at the end of the ITV series where Eric tries to tell this particular joke. And the credits the credits always came up over Eric saying with Ernie going. And the joke was, uh, it's two old men on a deck chair on Blackpool Beach. And one of them says, it's nice out, isn't it? And the other one says, you're right. I think I'll get mine out as well. <laughs> right. Which is okay. But, but, but it's brilliant. As a, as a credit, as Eric starts to tell a joke, John Lennon jumps in and says, there's two dirty old men on a, on a deck chair. And Eric just cracks Eric just cracks <laughs> up. And then he goes, you can't tell that joke. <laughs> but it's just, a, it's, just a, it's just a brilliant moment. It's just the simple things of... Mm. All right, Bongo, all right, Bonzo, all right, Bingo. It's just, and at, at the time for the audience, because the Beatles, the Beatles were nine months away from being the biggest yeah, band ever. Yeah. And yet here they were happily doing a soft shoe shuffle with Eric and being taken the piss out of by, by Eric Morecambe. It's, it's, it's great. Mm. And it, it, it's a sort of little, because they didn't do that sort of stuff. Or they didn't talk to their guests, but it's a little precursor to the stuff they would do later on with really famous people, world famous people. And it's it's one of those moments and you think if the rest of that, because I've watched a lot of that series, trust me, for various other shows, you think if the rest of that series was like that, it it, it would be legendary. Whereas yeah. it's it's just they're too they're really slick. They're too slick. And I I, I know it, I, this makes it sound like an insult, but they're too American. There's almost an, an Abbott and Costello feel to it. You know what I mean? And it's quite and even the writers in the sketches, it's always they're always pretending there's something there that they can see in Eric Kahn. And it just doesn't it doesn't quite right. And we'll we'll come on to the genius of Eddie Braben later on. But just now, when you look at the beat, and of course the Beatles look so young because they are so young, but they're just enjoying themselves and and in a way, because cause you know what happened to the Beatles, and you know three years later, you wouldn't have seen them smiling like that. No, in anything no. else, you know, and it it almost breaks your heart in a way that they they, they were different people then. They were they? different, absolutely yeah. different people. Yeah. And it almost breaks your heart that in the course of three or four years they went, you know, this huge worldwide fame and this huge worldwide notoriety with the bigger than Jesus stuff, and and so it's just a really innocent great thing. And the fact they take the piss out of the drummer, it's just it. it <laughs> every time I see it, Bingo Bongo and Bonzo, it's just. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, Great one. That is a great one. I think the uh, the, uh, the entire episode is up on YouTube, isn't it? I think. Or, or, I think it is. Yeah, it is. Yeah, I think with the Beatles few... on it is. Yeah, so. like I say, there's there's far more ITV stuff. Which again, I don't know whether it's 
copyright or, or licensing or whatever, but yeah, you know, it's worth it, it. I mean, it's worth looking at. I mean, it, and they had some of the biggest. I mean, you know, the Rolling Stones did it, and the Small Faces did it, and the the, uh, the Kinks. Did it. So, you know, the, these big names were happy to come on and mainly promote their singles, but very rarely did Eric and only talk to the other band. So. I mean, come on, Kevin, you're a big name in the BBC. Surely you can get them to unlock these um, Morecambe and Wise tapes. Well, I, wish, yeah. <laughs> I, wish that the, I wish that were the case. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a, yeah, I'm, I'm really, I, I want to need to talk to somebody and find out why they're not even on mm. on iPlayer. Um, I mean, you're the third coming of, of comedy, for goodness sake. Yeah, the third, sake. third wave of alternative yeah. comedy, me and Mark Thomas. Yeah, you and Mark Thomas. I mean, that and, must have uh, some kind of cachet, surely. And now look at us. <laughs> Doing more than wise podcast. We, did, we, we didn't. We didn't surf that wave nearly well enough. <laughs> uh, go on, then, Neil. You're number eight. So it's another song that they did. Um, it's the Banana Boat song. Um, yeah. I, I sort of remembered this and then searched it out on YouTube. Now this is the one where, obviously, it's all down to where it, Ernie, being the singer, can sing. I forget the name of the lady who's singing on this now. So forgive me for that. But um, yeah, it's Eric basically. Starts with the uh, the tambourine, isn't it? If you remember, and then yep. obviously goes through, and it's 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 a cross between it's it's physical comedy. The way he uses these different instruments that he's got to not a very good effect, but um, and then obviously the big payoff when he hits himself all over. Um, yeah, it's 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 genius. Now you've seen other people. Who was the guy that used to do um, with the tin tray? Oh, I can't remember the mule train. Yeah, yeah, yeah. all of that. Uh, but it's mule train. Like, no, it's mule, mule train. Mule train. Mule train. Yeah, that's oh, God, right. I can't remember. I don't there was all reminiscence of that, or whether he was taking the Mickey out of that himself, uh, Eric. But it, it just again, it's it's the pair. Well, the the, the the dynamics between them. The song we all know. The song, or it was a song that I knew from the youngster and on. Yeah, it was just funny. That's it was Nina of Nina and Frederick. Apparently. Oh, there we go. Okay. Wow. There you go. Yeah, uh, but yeah, I'm, I'm a great. I'm, I mean, I don't know whether this was a BBC sketch or whether it was an ITV one. This one, I wouldn't know. Kevin, I think it was BBC. I think. It sounds like a BBC one. Yeah, yeah, they, yeah, yeah. There was a. I, this is really going to annoy me now. Unless Pav can look it up, there was a brilliant joke in one of the later sketches. Someone's playing a tambourine, and Eric does what looks like an ad lib. I can't. I, I wish I hadn't said that now because it's just going to leave people <laughs> yeah. for all sorts of reasons. But there you go. Sorry. But that's the thing with Eric Morgan, isn't it? The ad libs that he did probably we don't know whether they were, a lot of them were scripted. Probably not. Knowing him, when you see some of the the other the other footage of other things that he did, like this is your life, which is there's a bit of that on on YouTube, isn't it? Like, well, also there's um. You can tell whether most of the ad libs in Morgan, according to Barry Cryer, most of the ad libs were left in. And he always said you can tell by Ernie's response, right, um, as to whether they're ad libbed, and and mm. also because they they rarely edited stuff those days, so they they leave in quite a lot of mistakes. And Eric loves it when somebody gets something wrong. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but it, there's a brilliant um, YouTube clip, and this is where Eric comes into his own. Uh, older listeners will remember World of Sport mm. with Dickie Davis on a on a Saturday, which was. Uh, ITV couldn't really afford any sports in those days. So they had horse racing, but then they would have log rolling from Canada and cliff diving from Acapulco uh, and a bit of darts maybe. But Dickie Davis, who was the host of the show, lived just down the road from Eric and they went out one Friday night and got pissed. And and uh, Dickie stayed at Eric's house 
And then when the cab arrived to take him into the studio and World of Sport was live on Saturday, Eric came with him. So for the first hour and a half of World of Sport, Eric's on the floor with with Dickie Davis, <laughs> just just taking the piss out of the uh, and the the laughter from the camera crew is because and you know you can't imagine now somebody turning up for it. You imagine you know, football focus and a, and a pissed comedian, and they go, "Yeah, come on, you'll be fine." Be great, <laughs> and, and the, but that's exactly what happens, and it's less because Eric was. By all account, really genuinely, really funny. As was Ernie, they were both genuinely funny men. Yeah. But there was there was a lot of scripted ad lib. I'm sure some of the ad libs were scripted and and rehearsed because they famously rehearsed to within an inch of their life. But they were genuinely spontaneously funny. Although, of course, when they when you've been doing it for that long, the kind of roller decks. There's there, there are very few situations that come up that probably haven't come up before in their live work together. So they, you know, some of the ad libs are genuine ad libs, and some are. Remember muscle memory, if you like. Yeah, if yeah. Used- yeah, yeah, yeah. It's funny you saying that. It's just shot in my memory now. I used to have the Morecambe and Wise book, the annual. Oh, okay, and yeah. there was I can remember that there were soccer tips with Eric Morecambe, and it was with Kevin Keegan. So it was permed Kevin Keegan, and I can wow. remember one where it was the what? What did he call it? It was like the the dummy. It, what it was? So it was a picture of him stood in front of uh, Kevin Keegan. And then the next picture is him with his glasses off <laughs> to the side so that Kevin Keegan is looking at the glasses and then he's moving <laughs> to the other side. <laughs> and that was that was Eric Morecambe giving Kevin Keegan the dummy and then moving on with the <laughs> that's ball. Hilarious. I'll have to try and find well, it. I mean, a... I mean, that's one of Eric's most famous jokes. I, I think he said it on Parkinson when he said my ambition was to be a footballer, but then my eyesight went, so I became a referee. <laughs> there you go, see. <laughs> But that's a great, that's a great show. Holding the holding the glasses, it's so, so funny. Yeah, that's really because then it's funny. got Kevin, and then it's got. I think Kevin Keegan is then stood there with his head bowed in shame while <laughs> Eric Morecambe's running down the down the pitch. <laughs> so good. That's funny. Um, okay, my number eight is um, there is nothing like a dame. Now ah, this is the yeah, yeah. Uh, the again the song and dance uh, um, episode uh, uh, sketch where it's got all the different. News readers, yeah. uh, you got you got Michael Aspel, you've got uh, let me see, pa- Parkinson wasn't there, was he? Well, you got Richard Baker, uh, Richard, a lot of these people that people, I'm sure, Kenneth the Kendall, Kenneth yeah, Kendall, yeah, but it is such a good, it's just such Eddie a wearing, yeah, Eddie yeah. wearing. That's why I remember him yeah. running doing that one little bit where there's two yeah. or three of them all running in, in unison. <laughs> and it took me ages. This isn't on YouTube, I had to go to some other link to oh. find uh, because I could not remember the name of the song. All I kept getting was Cliff Richard uh, and yeah, yeah. Uh, Eric and Ernie dressed up as sailors with like uh, buckets on their feet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I thought that was part of the sketch, but it wasn't. And I found it on some other website somewhere. I don't know. I think it was you porn or something like that. I think <laughs> I think it was. That was a disappointing um, search. It was yeah. a very disappointing <laughs> search, especially with there is nothing like a dame. So many, <laughs> so many different things came up that I shouldn't be watching. Well, it shouldn't be on my history anyway. Um, but it, for me, it's it's what I remember for. I think that was a Christmas episode, wasn't 77, it? Seventy seven. Seventy seven. Yeah. And it's getting all these people, and for me, it also is almost like the template for something that I just I cannot watch, and it's the children in need. Yeah. When they get like the newsreaders are doing yeah, grease yeah, or something. Yeah. And it yeah. always again, it's one of those perfect things. When I watch that, or you watch the members of EastEnders doing in sound of music or something, it always makes me cringe. Yeah, you watch them do it and, and Morecambe and Wise do it and 
I find it hilarious, great mm. entertainment. Well, it, it's also really interesting because I think I think it was the year before when Angela Rippon did the coming Very out, from the, which, which is yeah, brilliant. Yeah. And that's why they wanted to get all these news. But in those days, newsreaders didn't do that sort of thing. No, I mean, they didn't. I mean, I'm yeah. sure they were only in their 40s, but they all looked 70. They were all exactly. proper old-fashioned yes. uh, BBC news people with quite posh accents. And the 1970s, only... 40s. Yeah, but, yeah, absolutely. But and, yeah. and also, Eric, so the BBC weren't at all happy about having so many of them doing it. Um, and Eric didn't like the idea. Eric didn't think it would work. Eric thought, oh, really? he, Eric thought it was fine with Angela Rippon, but he, he had to be persuaded. So, of, of course, because he thought that the newsreaders wouldn't want to do it. Of course, they were all up, really up for it. Uh, but then once Eric was told that they wouldn't actually do all the, the gymnastics and acrobatics, because it's a really, considering the technology of the day, the editing is brilliant. Where it's it goes, absolutely fantastic, it, yeah. Because it genuinely looks like these these old men are doing brilliant. And it's, again, it's, it's true. And, you know, the, the audience watching it at the time, would I think it's from South Pacific, I think. The, I think so, you're right, yeah. So, you know, they would have grown up. You know, if, if if you're 50 watching uh, Morecambe and Wise in those days, you probably went f- flirting or had a date to that film. You know what I mean? So there's there's all these references that the audience get, and it's funny anyway, and and Eric and Ernie are funny, and then you've got these newsreaders, these these staid, sophisticated chaps. Uh, you know, Eddie Waring was the rugby league commentator, and this little That's round right. northern chap doing his thing, and it's it's a it's, it's great. They're, their musical stuff was brilliant because again they took they just took such joy in it. Yeah, yeah, and they, and they never did. they never they never sent it up. You know, in in the same way that two Ronnies sort of would send up the genre that they were doing the music for, whereas with Eric and Ernie they were celebrating it. You know, they, and were clearly loving doing it. It comes back to your choice of the, the singing in the rain. It was a proper celebration for them. You know, they had such mm. respect for the the talents that had gone before them. Yeah, and you can also feel that those newsreaders. It was something that they really enjoyed it was they didn't have to get coaxed into doing it they really enjoyed doing that which i think would took eric by surprise because he thought they wouldn't want to do it but there's another one barry norman who did the film was the bbc film and they're obviously having the time of their lives yeah yeah so much fun uh okay your number seven then please kevin Uh, you mentioned cliff richard earlier this one's from 1973 i the more walking ones i watch now the more I really look forward to, A, the bedroom scenes, but B, in particular, the scenes in their living room, which is where they tended to introduce. So they would they would have the big guests who would come on on the studio floor and then they would set up that they're, they're going to be coming back. And then they would have... So Eric and Ernie would be in their living room because the conceit was they now live together. Uh, this is one of Eddie Braben's ideas. And and their Eddie Braben changed their their characteristics. So instead of Ernie being the smart, clever, neurotic one who was always trying to get one over Eric, he became the pompous sort of author, um, harmless, but thought he was much cleverer than he was. And Eric became a little bit more clever, but still innocent. And they lived together, but clearly they were great mates. Whereas in the ITV series, they weren't. You didn't got no sense that they were mates, but in this. They lived together and they were quite happy to live together yeah. and, and share a bed. So you've got this this dynamic between them and they would do... And, and this particular one is the one with Cliff Richard on from 1973. Because, again, any 
director now or editor would would it's it's 12 minutes long right nowadays you'd you'd go right it's for, even if it's cliff richard or even if it's uh, billy eilish or ed sheeran or whoever they'd say yeah i don't care how famous they are three minutes and we're out I mean that's half of a sitcom episode. It's ab- absolutely, but it's just this thing. So, it, and the, the setup is that Ernie spends the first minute. Ernie's got this like mid sixties sort of go go dancer outfit on because he's decided that he's much cooler than than Eric, uh, which Eric's really annoyed about. Even though Eric's doing an Airfix model, he's making an Airfix play <laughs> model. And, and Ernie says he's invited yeah. Cliff Richard round because he's got this new dance sequence for Cliff Richard to come and have a look at. And of course, Cliff Richard comes in and his eyes immediately taken to the Airfix model and he sits down next to, to to Eric and he goes, oh, it's brilliant. He's asking Eric about the Airfix model. And there's a there's a line, he says to Eric, you know, have you always been able to make things? And he, Eric says, yeah, well, my dad my dad was an engineer on British Rail. He he was the one who used to weld the crusts onto the meat pies, <laughs> uh, which is a, which is a great line in itself. But yeah, because, yeah, yeah. for the audience at the time, when you know British Rail's nationalised train service here was legendarily, and it's just, uh, it's, and, and the next bit is uh, Eric says, "Yeah, I, I, I love me. It's the fact I made Ernie out of a kit," uh, and there's, there's laughter. And Cliff Richard went, "Ah, uh, yeah, you can't see the join." Uh, which is something that Eric used to say to her. And, and Eric immediately gets the hump. And he just says to Cliff, you're not going to do terrible jokes like that all the way through, are you? <laughs> uh, only I'm, I'm the one who, who does that. Um, and then there's a bit where, so Eric, Eric Ernie's trying to get their attention because it's there. And <laughs> Ernie puts Cliff's latest single on the, on the, on the record player. And Eric just goes, turn that off. I can't stand that bloke. He's terrible. Uh, and and he goes he's just sitting there and he goes it's still terrible but uh, but there's a there's another line and again it just it's an indication of how they undermine the the stars yes cliff asked him a question cliff richard who was one of the greatest musical stars at the time um cliff asked him a question eric just goes uh uh well cliff and he says you don't mind if i'll call you cliff do you richard (laughs) and it's just it's just such a Great throwaway line, and you yeah. can see Ernie. Ernie starts to go at, th- at that stage, um, and it all builds up to them doing. Uh, Ernie shows them the dance numbers, and Cliff Richard just goes, "That's that's that's terrible. That's that's, that's really old fashioned." And and then says to Eric, "You know, can you come up with something?" And Eric plays one. I can't remember, but he plays one of uh, Cliff Richard's hits on the single. And, it, and Eric goes, it's good. And Cliff Richard says, yeah, it's in there somewhere. <laughs> but then, again, Eric gets cross again. So it's just this wonderful thing about their relationship. It's like, it really doesn't give a monkey's how famous these people are. It's like the way they treated Elton John, yeah, yeah, for example. And it's just for the audience at home, it's just hilarious. And again, American listeners may not understand. It's like I, I worked on Nevermind the Buzzcocks, which was... Uh, uh, shall I say an irreverent pop quiz for our American listeners, but basically was a sarcastic piss take of pop stars, and th- they sold the format to America, and it was pulled after show two because the American audience just didn't understand the idea of taking the piss out of famous people. Because you know, the American audiences have got the roast, so they get it all off their chest uh, uh, in one go at the end of the year. But th- th- this low-level sarcasm and this low-level piss taking of celebrities. 
Americans on the whole don't get it. And but English audiences love it. You've got all these world famous, you know, we'll come on to Andre Previn later, world famous people just having the rug pulled under their from under their feet by Eric and Ernie and enjoying every moment of it. And it's it's the same with with Cliff. It's like and and Eddie Braben has created this world for Eric and Ernie where they will take the mickey out of each other, but God forbid anybody else comes in and tries to do the same thing. And it's really rather touching. And that's what makes the BBC stuff so so successful and so accessible because you've got these two blokes who just clearly adore each other. And mm. and, uh, and yet, and, and it's not literally not knowing, you know, Ernie having to explain to Eric who Cliff Richard is because he, you know, he does not that fuss. It's great. It's really, it's really good. I could have picked four or five of those those living rooms skets yeah 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 they're, they're, they're always highlights to me that's the british sensibility though isn't it with with famous people is that we love them we love them build them up and then we're quite happy to knock them down so if if Morecambe and wise are doing that for us uh, uh, well absolutely but also most of them are savvy enough to know that the british public are going to love them for standing there exactly taking it you know? yeah, exactly. yeah yeah of course oh, completely agree absolutely um right then neil you're number seven so it's another song and a sketch, but this one was black and white. It's Boom All Yatta Tata. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, this was the one that my mum said that, that she absolutely adores yeah. this sketch. It is, it yeah. is. I mean, you watch it. I mean, it's beautifully constructed. It really is the way they do it. They keep swapping through where they're trying to sing this song. And we spoke about Ernie laughing. You, If you watch carefully on this one, you can see Ernie laughing on this one. Yeah, um, yeah. So I mean, I, when was this one? I don't know. Well, they used. Do you know that. what? Funny, they 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 weren't averse to recycling stuff. Right. From, but so the, the Andre Previn thing, they originally did. Excuse me, as a much shorter sketch in the ITV series. Right. Okay. But with an actor playing the the conductor, and Boomiata Tatar was something was from their live stuff. They they were doing a version of that from. The fifties onwards, so okay. th- you'll 62. find sixty-two. Sixty-two is the one that's on the YouTube, one on yeah. two. But there's also one particular moment. Um, they do it in one of the Ed Sullivan shows, which they? again, which again is an indication of, you know, other people would have got American writers to help them out, but they just go, no, no, this is what we do. But Ed Sullivan joins in with the this one, but too enthusiastically. So they invite Ed to join in, and Ed's this lugubrious character who just is having the time of his life, but he really shouts the boom. Uh, And you you can see Eric going, you can see Eric getting quite cross because Ed Sullivan just doesn't quite get the rhythm of it and and how it works. But they they did it a couple of times, and it was a reference they used. But again, that's another one I could easily have had. If I'd had 20, that would have been in there. Yeah. But no, that is a good one. I only saw that for the first time today because my mum said, you've got to watch this sketch. Just watch this sketch. Yeah, yeah, it gets in your top ten. It's so funny. But it's it's so good. 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 And then this was one of the ones that really, that Eric reminds me of Vic Reeves so much in the way that he... That he act, well, not the way that Big mm. Reeves acts is looks like Eric Morgan. There's a touch of goons sort of, about it as well. Bit, yeah, there? I would say there's a touch of the goons. Yeah, 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 absolutely. What the, the goons is really interesting. It's like I've, I've never uh, Eddie is. I was an old mate of mine, but this is an argument. I, I Monty Python, I don't get. I, I, I it just it, it just doesn't decide. I, I, I appreciate why people would love it. Yeah. But I remember I did a gig with Eddie a few years back when 
um, Monty Python did their last reunion, which Eddie helped produce. Um, it was a gig for Palace, as Eddie's a Palace fan charity. And, things like um, and Eddie said to me after, he said, oh, I'm, I've, I don't know if you want to come. We're doing the last of the Monty Python things at the O2, or it was hired a boat. We're going from Charing Cross down to the O2. And I went, well, I, I, I quite like the idea of the boat journey, Eddie, to be perfectly honest. <laughs> Cut to 15 minutes later, it, Ed, my boy who loves Monty Python, Ed, Ed's always been into recording. 15 minutes later, Ed, Eddie came up to me and went, oh, look, do you mind? I, I, I've asked Ed to come along the boat. I, I think you'll appreciate it more. Cut to the video right at the end of the video, and Ed's right in the middle of Monty Python singing, always looking the bright side of life. But I just don't, I don't get, I don't agree that Monty Python was uh, influential in the start of stand-up comedy. For me, it's quite there's a lot of racism and, and sexism in there. And uh, I, I, I say I do appreciate, but but the goons uh, who I only really discovered properly five or six years ago, I, I just think they're incredible. I, mm-hmm. it, it's astonishing that that was going on. In the, in the early mid, these these three chaps who clearly damaged by the war, doing this stuff at a time you associate with rationing, and and I I think that, and I think you're right. I think that there is an element of the goons in that, and I, I think where where Vic Reeves takes that on further, because uh, what the goons did, and what Eric and Ernie did, and what Vic Reeves also did, was to to wring every single drop out of a particular scenario. It's like just when you think there's no, there's nothing more to be had from this song or this sketch, all of those people could could find another angle to 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 take it on board. So I think that that's a really interesting uh, conceit, the idea that the goons is in there. That's really interesting. Mm. And again, because you see, that's what you get that continuity. It's one of the things. Because one of the reasons when I became a comic, I became obsessed with the history of comedy. It was because I wanted to know where I sat in the context. Yes. Right of comedy i wanted to find out about acts that had done stuff similar to me before i was doing it you know who were the acts who were doing political stuff and one yeah and so, so it's really interesting when you say that you know about the, the continuity mm. between all those three acts that's really interesting there you go well done, Neil. Thank you. <laughs> you nearly, uh, you nearly, you need to work on the sincerity, Paddy. I do. That, I'm, I'm terrible at it. I'm terrible at it. But, but you know, well done. <laughs> uh, my number seven um, is a moment uh, which uh, Eric would bring out every so often, and it's his bag trick. Oh, it's the, oh, yeah. the, the paper bag. Oh, oh. Uh, I still try and do it, and I still can't get that flick quite right. Um, it's pretending that there's he has a, a brown paper bag. He throws an imaginary thing up in the air, catches it with the paper bag, and it's it's just a thing of wonder. It's just the fact that he it will be a prop that he will bring in. I, I saw a sketch today, and that was the punchline. The, the sketch carried on yeah. and carried on, and then he finished by just doing the bag sketch, and then that was it, doing the the, the bag bit. Do you, do you know why I've not included it in my top ten? Um, I, I can't. I can't bloody do it. Yeah, that's, well, that's it. <laughs> it. It looks so because that's one of the things when Ed started watching Walk and Wise as a kid, he thought that was hilarious. Of course, as yeah. a as a good dad, you want to go. Oh, I'll do that for exactly. It's so hard. I so mean, you, hard. all you do is is obviously clicking your fingers somewhere, but it, it's never not funny. It's no. never not funny, and no. so because every now and again he'll throw something up in the air, and you just can't help. And the people next to him 
can't help you. You just look, you yes. just follow this imaginary, <laughs> and it and it takes for ages. And eventually, Eric's eyes will fall, and because his eyes always follow it down, and he does yeah. the paper bag thing. It's it's so hard to do. It looks so simple, but it's a great trick to have up your. There's so many meetings I've been in when I think I wish I could do that now. This what this, this meeting would seal means. The is, deal. It's, it's yeah. absolutely <laughs> they're bound to employ me now. Yeah, I'm yeah. sorry, Kevin, but we're not going to have you right here for our show. <laughs> Hang on a minute. Let me get this paper bag out. Hang on. It's great. Six series and a special. We'll, we'll sign you now. Um, okay, then, Kevin, you're number six, then, please. Uh, you you can't talk about Morecambe and Wise without talking about the Christmas specials, obviously, because I, I know I know for a fact, I know there's, as we said, there's a lot of false memory stuff going on about whether or not you sat down as a kid and took all this stuff in. But I, I know at, at Christmas, me and my mum, I was an only child, I don't know, at Christmas, the three of my mum used to work in a, she used to run a bar, so she wasn't always there. Dad, she was also quite ill when I was growing up. She was in hospital a lot. Dad, you know, was a, was a South London working class dad. So God knows where he went half the time. You didn't know, but I, I, I had a very happy childhood. I don't, don't want to uh, indicate anything other than that. Um, but I, I do know that at Christmas we would we would sit down and watch Eric and Ernie, partly because you didn't have a lot of choice, to be honest. Uh, but this this is from nineteen seventy two. And it's one of those sillier ones. And again, we've mentioned that they didn't always spend a lot of money on costumes or props, but this is where they're two of Rudolph's reindeer. So they're dressed as, so they, so it opens with them on a, a roof. Um, they're two fairly scruffy reindeer outfits. Uh, Ernie, for some reason, has, has got this makeup. He's got his lovely little nose and whiskers and red cheeks. And Eric's just got a reindeer hood on, but and basically the the it's quite a short sketch. It's just one of those ones that I, I, the thought of it makes me laugh because the the idea of the sketch is that they've been up there for ages waiting for for Father Christmas. They've been up there an hour and a half, so they, they and they clearly imply that Father Christmas is having his wicked way with somebody in, in this <laughs> in this house. <laughs> But about a minute into it, Eric, and this is one of Eric's tricks, you'll see this in a lot of sketches, where he he, he sort of lurches forward as though someone's pinched his... He does it to Scylla Black in, in one brilliant thing. When they introduce Scylla Black, she comes on, and Eric just goes and looks around as though she's pinched him on the on the arse. But he he does this thing, so he's only talked to him, and Eric just goes, and he, he looks around and says, don't do that. That's not very nice. Um, uh, he's, and he went, he's... Uh, and then he says, "You're right." And Eric just says, "His his nose is freezing," <laughs> uh, which is which is funny. And uh, and Eric Ernie says, "Um, oh, that's Rudolph. He's got a red nose." And and Eric says, "He'll have a black eye if he keeps doing that." <laughs> uh, which is just, it's just really because again that harks back to the kind of not brutality, but the kind of no holds barred thing in musical. It wasn't sweet, out. but <laughs> he just and again so so like three times he goes and. It, and it just it just ends with Eric turning around and saying, "Do that again, sunshine, and you'll be a hat rack." <laughs> Which is just, it's just so simple. It, it probably yeah yeah. Thought it, but it's just Eric does it perfectly, mm. and you can just you can just picture this reindeer with a cold nose shoving it up Eric's butt, <laughs> getting really cross, and it's it just it's I. Yeah, the, it's the, the best. It's like the best art of any art. It's like a piece of music or a, a painting. 
you can't always explain it's like saying why is orange your favorite color you can't really mm. explain and there's mm. some pieces of comedy you just go i'm sorry that just makes me laugh every time i see it and it's 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 because even though i'm a middle-aged man now the idea of somebody getting a cold nose up their bum it's it's still <laughs> it's still funny it's just seeing two middle-aged men dressed as a reindeer on a on a terribly reproduced roof it's just lovely and it and it kind of it's in a Christmas spirit and it's so not sentimental as well. When you think it's, mm. it's, it's the opposite of sentimental is everyone loves Santa's reindeer. It's, and it just doesn't occur to you that the two at the front are getting <laughs> goosed <laughs> all the way through. I wonder what would happen if I put a uh, cold nose up the berm on a U-Porn sort. Maybe we'll try that a little bit later on. Sky is alive. Go on then, Neil, you're number six. So people will probably think this should be higher. It's the Cleopatra sketch with um, Anthony and Cleopatra. You've got it at Jackson. number six. I have, but oh, the reason this pod ends now. Yeah, <laughs> no, there is reasons, and there's sentimental reasons for other oh, ones okay. being in front. But okay. I mean, what's not to love? This is what we've talked about through all the sketches, where they're taking up probably one of our greatest actresses ever to have lived, Glenda Jackson, bless her, um, and obviously a big. Homage with uh, Eric and Luton Town FC. Yeah, 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 yeah. Black Art as well. Yeah. I mean, I was. This is one of those ones. How long does this sketch go on for? Because I, I mean, it's it, it's about like? eleven. I just I checked this the other day because the, the Andre Previn one I think is the longest one, but this is eleven minutes. It's up there. Yeah, because it does go, doesn't yeah. it? But it's got full full genius all the way through. And I would suggest all of our American friends. This would be a good one to start on because obviously. Yeah. You should know the story, or at least a bit of the story of Cleopatra or Anthony and Cleopatra. Um, you might not all know all the references that um, Eric and Ernie are pulling out in this whole thing, but it's just the joy of watching Glenda Jackson in this. Is just she was used a couple of more times or a few more times, wasn't she? Quite. She, she did a, a, a Hamlet thing because well, also she won uh, an Oscar. That's right. Off the back of this, because this is one of those in uh, Eddie Braben, who became the writer, had this thing that the play what I wrote, which is because uh, Ernie would persuade these famous stars That's to, right. to do these plays, and and Ernie would say that he knocked them off. In a, and there's so right at the start of this episode, Ernie basically says that he's better than Shakespeare, mm. and he's <laughs> he's he he had a, a a spare hour that afternoon, so he knocked up a better version of. Of Anthony and Cleopatra, <laughs> and and so the like the first ten minutes of the whole show is him persuading Glenda Jackson to do it. That's right, because she clearly doesn't want to do it, which apparently was she was had to be persuaded to do it, but because she was so brilliant in it, and and I'll, I'll come on to because for me this is the there's three minutes in this which is the the best British comedy ever, but because uh, because she was a very serious actress, a very serious actress, and she was mm. she she I think she'd already won an Oscar in a, in a Ken Russell film, one. a Women in Love, a, a Women in Love, yeah. yeah. So but that's the sort of thing she did. She was a, a Shakespearean actress, but because she played this so well, and there's some beautiful moments. I mean, she was very beautiful herself, but there's some beautiful moments where she starts giggling. But because she played this so well, there was um, a, a Hollywood director who cast her in. I think the name off the top of my head. In a in a comedy with that she won the Oscar for that comedy That's next right. year basically, but it's I I I thought we'd probably all agree on what the top two would be to be perfectly honest. So 
but I, yeah, it's I, we'll talk about it in more detail. But it's mm. for me, I I could watch it five times a night. I, I and it, I think it's brilliant. It's, I mean, she passed away recently, but she was on this um, uh, Lenny Henry sketch show thing that I mentioned recently last year looking very ill but she spoke about it with such affection and she, mm. and she spoke about the fact that she really what surprised her was that the rehearsal process was so rigorous because eric and only loved to rehearse like two or three weeks before and she said it was like proper theatrical rehearsing which she which she got that she spoke about how nervous she was when she was doing it but again i, I think this is probably about the fifth time i've used the phrase time of her life but she clearly is having the time of her life yeah you really can see it. You can see it as well. And we'll talk about it in more detail later, but there's some just some great touches in it. And and as you say, it's that thing, it's just the fact that Eric was a Luton Town fan. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's like because he that's where he, he moved to, to Bedfordshire when he when he they came down to London and started getting them. But and he loved football and he loved Luton Town. Yeah. And it, and it's just you nowadays somebody would say to him, Pick a, a better, t- you know, pick a bigger team or pick a, mm. you know, but he, no, it's Luton Town. It's just, it's very funny. And the audience appreciate the fact that he's, he's and you've got Glenda Jackson, who probably had no idea who Luton Town were, <laughs> but, but still, and, but even the simple thing I will talk about later, but yes, yes, it's a brilliant choice. Wherever you've got it, it's a brilliant mm. choice. Right, I, this is going to be the shining moment in this uh, episode. I haven't got it in my top 10. <laughs> what? And the reason is that I completely, I've, I've watched a, a couple of bits of it and I completely forgot to put it in my top 10. <laughs> so, well, that's all right. That's the level of professionalism we're working at. So I think, <laughs> well, it is. Uh, I think Eric and Ernie would appreciate that, to be honest. Yeah. Do you think? <laughs> well, also, do you know what? I think it, I think it indicates as well. Like I said before, this is, uh, I mean, it'd I be my the, number 11. I yeah. thought the Disney one was difficult, I have to say. I really do. Yeah. But, but this mm. one was. I mean, narrowing narrowing it down. Uh, literally, my first long list was thirty five. Narrowing it down to fifteen, and then getting the ten. Which I mean, I, I knew who the first two were always going to be, but then after that, it was it was tricky. So, yeah. who's who's your number six then? Well, my number six. Thank you for asking, Kev. That's You're fantastic. Welcome. Well done. Look at that. He, he knows what he's doing. I mean, he's the third coming of alternative comedy for crying out loud. Well, not only that, but I need to go to the loo. So, oh, right. just... okay. Well, my number six is the Tom Jones. Uh, ah, with the, the yeah, backup yeah, scenes yeah. with yeah, 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 yeah. So to be very, it's just Tom Jones and Eric and Ernie are doing the backing singing of the yeah, yeah, yeahs, which are just hilarious. And I noticed doing a bit of research that Reeves and Mortimer. Vic and Bob did a rehash of this with yeah. Tom Jones in yeah. 2000, might have been 2000. I think it was something like Night of a yeah. Thousand Shows It was the thing. And it, so we're talking about the fact that, you know, Eric mm. and Ernie, Vic and Bob, and they do exactly the same thing with Tom Jones. Um, and it is hilarious. What, uh, and also what's brilliant about it is because, I mean, Tom Jones is one of those, you know, my, my mum loved Tom Jones. Mm. So did my dad. Yeah, because you know, my you know, it, it, and the reason it's so funny that Eric and Ernie doing the yeah yeah yeahs is because Tom Jones, even through the TV screen, you can see the chest hair. Yeah, you, you can smell the testosterone. You know, <laughs> yes, Tom, you can. Tom Jones is a virile man. He yeah, and, and earlier in the show, Eric's tried to compete with him like I'm as tough, but just the fact that Tom Jones, this virile, oh, testosterone fueled man. And then Eric and Ernie doing this high-voiced backing vocals behind him with Tom Jones desperately trying not to laugh. Yeah. 
yeah. while, he's, while he's doing it. You know, it's it's a great choice. That's a really good choice. Yes, so good. Okay, we're halfway through. Uh, we break. Is that okay? Yes, because I need a wee as well. So right, we'll, all go. we'll all go and have a wee. <laughs> I'll leave all this in. Right. Where- I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Halfway through, so it's time for this. Pop quiz, hot shot. Okay, it's quiz time. Um, I do feel now. Oh, just as a caveat to this, I write these quiz questions without knowing what the facts are, without knowing what <laughs> we're going to talk about. So some of these questions might be a little bit easier than they would normally be tonight. <laughs> so here we go. Um, Kevin, you're our guest. Would you like to go first or second? I've forgotten about the quiz. I'll go. Um, <laughs> I'll go second. Yeah, okay Ooh. then. So Neil. Yes. Ernie made the first UK mobile phone call on the 1st of January, 1985, but on which network? Vodafone. Is correct. It was Vodafone. Can I tell you who made the first ever withdrawal from an automated cash point? Can I have a guess? Yeah, I think I know it as Reg well. Oh, dude. It, it was, was Reg Farm. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So, uh, now that came up on a radio show that me and Pav used to do, like our yeah. own for a, a radio yeah. show. And that's why I remember that we were joking about it, and then we had a bit of a on the buses resurgence. Not, <laughs> yeah, not yeah, like yeah. we were watching it again, but talking <laughs> about those things. Yeah, so uh, I remember that. Those yeah. are the days. Um, okay, Kevin, your first question. In 2005, whose political manifesto stated that they would make Bring Me Sunshine the new <laughs> national anthem if elected? <laughs> the Monster Raving Looney Party. Is correct. I don't, know, I don't know how you got those questions right. I really don't. Neil, which famous pop star has a tattoo of Morecambe and Wise on his arm? 
Um, Robbie Williams. Is correct. Well wow. done. Yeah. Good knowledge. Only, only, no, well, I only, only realised this. I was reading an article about Robbie Williams literally a couple of days ago, and he speaks about having a more from wise cartoon. There you wow. go. There you go. Okay, Kevin, which popular British cop show did Eric and Ernie make a guest appearance <laughs> on? <laughs> I, do you know what? I'm glad you said that, because when I mentioned that earlier, the, the, the look you gave me indicated that I'd got that wrong. But obviously, no, the look I indicated was, was on was, oh, the quiz. <laughs> I've been working out there for like two hours, these quiz oh, questions. This, 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 it's a great question. It's the, the Sweeney. It is the Sweeney. Yeah, yeah. Two, two. So, Neil, for the win, mm. their shows attracted numerous guest stars over the years, many of whom appeared in the plays What Ernie Wrote which 007 star desperately wanted to appear on the show but was always held back by filming commitments? Would it have been Roger Moore? It is Roger Moore. So, I mean, oh, you, sorry, get, you get the win there, but let's see if we can go straight through and see if we can get 100%, so it'll be 5 all. Uh, Kevin, the Beatles famously made a guest appearance on Morecambe and Wise's <laughs> ATV series in 1963. Which girl group did Eric Morecambe mistake them for? The K-Sisters. Is correct, yes. <laughs> Neil, in the famous 1971 sketch with conductor Andre Preview, uh, <laughs> what was the piano concerto where Eric was playing all the right notes but not necessarily in the right order? What was it? What was the concerto, yes. What was the piano concerto? I'm sniffing a gap. Oh, no, I can't I'm gonna remember. Put, I'm going to get that in my porn uh, search as No, I can't remember. Let's, let's get that. Okay, no, Kevin. It was Grieg's piano concerto. It was. And do you know in, in what num, key? Num, oh, was in real life. I did, uh, G, uh, G? It wasn't. It was an A minor. A but I'll give, you, I, I'll give you that anyway. Right. Uh, Kevin. Which somber newsreader no, sang Neil, the... this is Neil. This is me. Oh, sorry, yeah, Neil. Yeah. Which somber newsreader sang the final line of There Is Nothing Like a Dame in the 1977 Morecambe and Wise Christmas special? Oh. Uh, I can't remember which one it would have been. The tall one with the really deep voice, wasn't it? I can't think of No, I can't think of Sorry. No, Kevin, any idea? I, I, no, I... No, I apologise to his family and descendants. <laughs> it was Peter Woods. Peter oh. Woods. Peter Woods. Okay, so that, I'm that's not how saying, that's so... how contestants always go. They say Peter Woods, of course. They no idea. <laughs> <laughs> just you just do it in that tone. Ah, oh, Peter Woods, of course. Exactly. Who's going to do it? Kevin or Ke yeah, yeah. You're right, Kevin? What is the first item of breakfast food being eaten on the breakfast strippers sketch? Oh, be at oh. Grapefruit? It's not, no. Oh, okay. Oh, wrong one. Oh. Wrong one. That's the one I wanted. There you go. Is he, didn't, he, didn't get, he didn't get a what, 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 what? I know he didn't, I did he? I forgot no. to do it. Just, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, Kevin. The way I'm you sorry, our Kevin. guests <laughs> at the moment. You need, you need to make your guests feel more welcome on this. <laughs> yeah, this really. Come on, we need to change this up. <laughs> Especially uh, as someone who is the third coming of alternative uh, I mean, comedy. Exactly. Speaking of which, by the way, Kieran McGraw had a lovely time. Uh, oh, good. I'm glad you did. Except we did a live show in Salford uh, last week together. And three people came up to him and took exception to his top ten Manchester. No, so, yeah, you're joking. Absolutely, three oh. people. 
So, That's what I like to so, hear. Good. Yeah. Has anyone uh, given you any, it, any? Oh, sorry, Kevin. Sorry, I was going to say, was it cereal? Not that it was cereal. It was well it, done. Uh, okay. It was cereal. No one's had to go at you for your Disney, apart from your wife, obviously. If you Disney, <laughs> I did. I had a couple of tweets saying, "How could you not have this particular song?" Or uh, uh, there you which, go. It's yeah. the power of the top ten list. I, I, I just, yeah, I just like them and move on. Basically, indeed. Yeah. <laughs> That's all you've got to do. That's all you've got to do. Uh, the final question was: Who sings and dances with Eric and Ernie with a bucket on his foot? That's for Neil, isn't it? Or is that for me? Oh, oh, that's for you, for, Kevin. For, yeah, for, that's for Kevin. you, Kevin. Oh, for me, um, Cliff Richard. It was. Yeah. There you go. It finished 4-4. That's not bad. That's not bad, that's all right. That's not bad at all. Okay, Kevin, back to your top ten and your number five, please. Well, this was one, um, oddly enough, one that I had very clear memories of but found very difficult to prove uh, on YouTube or the internet. And it's uh, a mutiny on the bounty sketch from 1971 or as they called it, Monty on the Bonte. Um, And and the reason I have very clear memories of it is because Arthur Lowe was the guest on that show who played played Captain Mannering um, in Dad's Army, of course, and who was uh, famously in real life as pompous as Captain Mannering was as well. And, And again, one of those characters who was only probably 58 at that stage, but... So when he's introduced at the start, he's he's, he's brilliant, a brilliant actor, but he's really unimpressed with Eric and Ernie. Um, and he he just keeps, uh, Ernie says to him, Eric's the funny one. And he says, well, you know, let me know when he says something funny and I'll, I'll be sure to laugh. <laughs> and he does it. But then he keeps talking about he wants to meet the star of the show, um, uh, which really annoys Eric because it turns out he's talking about Janet Webb, who was one of the people who used to come on at the end and say thank you very much. But they do this brilliant mutiny and a bounty sketch. And the reason I managed to track down one bit, which I thought I'd, I'd, I'd obviously made up, and it, it must have come out of rehearsal. So uh, he's playing Captain Bly, <laughs> and Eric's playing them, sort of the, the chief mutineer, the Fletcher Christian character. Uh, and it's just the three of them on deck, and he explains to uh, Captain Bly, uh, who at this stage, Ernie is still loyal to Captain Bly. He's got his little sailor's outfit on. Uh, but Eric has a crutch, pirates-type crutch under his arm. He changes which arm it's under every time you see I remember this one. Um, and, and he explains that, you know, that the mutinous crew are going to hang... Arthur Lowe, Captain Bly from the highest yard arm, at which point Ernie announces that he's got bad news to Captain Bly that uh, and he just says, I'm a coward. So he joins the mutineers. Um, and, then, and then Eric, and whether it came out of rehearsal, I don't know. It must have done. Eric does a Jimmy Cagney impression. Uh, to, and he tries to juggle the crutch, but he, he just says to Arthur Lowe, uh, I, I can't do impressions, but he does this really good Jimmy Cagney impression about, you know, this is the end of the road for you. And, and without even taking a pause, Arthur Lowe, Captain Manrin, does this impeccable Humphrey Bogart accent in return, takes an imaginary cigarette out of his mouth and says, that's how it's got to be, sweetheart. Right, but, but, but sounds like Humphrey Bogart, <laughs> yeah, basically, <laughs> rather than my next door neighbour. Um, and it just brings the house down because you've got this pompous character yeah. who's, who's essentially playing Captain Mannering being Captain Bly. 
and it's perfect and he does it and they don't mention it again but then at, at, at the end of the sketch about two minutes later there's a there's a bit where um eric suddenly says right that it's, it's time for you to go and he, he calls his imaginary crew on and uh captain Bly, captain mannering says wait a moment i think there are still some people loyal to me and the crew and the cast of dad's army come on dressed as sailors uh and the audience clearly can't believe their luck so all yeah, the, yeah. the main characters you know clive you know corporal jones godfrey john the mission uh and the final line and again this is an indication of the generosity of of eric and ernie and eddie Braven, the writer uh captain but i can't remember what captain blind says it's about round up the mutineers and and Sergeant Wilson, John Lemagere, says, do you think that's wise, sir? And he goes, no, that's more good. <laughs> Which is a great line, but I, you, you get that the feeling good. that once once Arthur Lowe had agreed to do the show, you get the feeling that Eddie Braben, the writer, had, had retro-engineered backwards from, do you think that's wise, mm. to, to, to and, and come up with a sketch where he could actually end up by saying it. But again, it brings the house down because you know, the audience can't believe these two legendary shows are together but Eric and Ernie are perfectly happy for John the Maggiore Sergeant Wilson to have the final laugh because they know it's a, it's a big laugh they don't mind who has the big laugh as long as they get it and it's but Arthur Lowe's acting is just fantastic in it. and it comes back mm. to that conversation we had before about getting straight actors in who are happy to be the baseline around which the comedy happens yeah that's a crossover of like Avengers proportions, isn't it? For those, yeah, yeah, day. A, a, a little bit. Yeah, if, if I've truly understood the reference, I would have said that with more sincerity. But yeah. <laughs> well, it's one all now, Kevin, isn't it? It's, it's one all, you know, too shabby. <laughs> uh, okay, Neil, your number five was the singing in the rain sketch. It was. Uh, my number five again, most people might think that this should be a bit higher, uh, but I'm going for the breakfast stripper sketch. I mean, if, the, if there's one, that's my sketch, number three. If, the, yeah, oh, okay, if we there's I mean, it's it's relevant to us. We've talked about this time and time again, haven't we, Pav? We've is, is this the most nice iconic and... Morecambe and Wise sketch? I think Ooh, it is. Don't you? No, Do you not think? No, no, no. I think uh, it's one more. Okay, it's not. It's but not. Us, my, it's it's not even in your top ten, Kevin. It's not in my top ten. No. But this is to us. I mean, we used to joke about this time and time again, and we we contemplated doing this we actually did contemplate show. doing our own version of and i'm so glad we didn't i'm so glad we i didn't. don't know i think it could have been quite <laughs> funny but we did we contemplated it an honor to do the this but i think we chose the bring me sunshine i instead, think you're right yeah it was a lot easier but, it was yeah. yeah yeah the reason it's not in my top 10 is because i i don't it it was under rehearsed they they were short they they knew they were six minutes short on this particular Christmas. I mean, was it Christmas special? I believe. Uh, I believe it was. Yeah, yeah. Um, and the producer John Ammons came up with the idea. When you watch it, you can see it's under rehearsed. The timing's off on mm. a, a fair bit of it. Um, there's also one of the very few. And I know I'm being oversensitive here. When he, they do the old man river thing with the grapefruit uh, Negro lits, which it, watching yeah, it back, yeah, yeah. watching it back now, I find. It, it just for me, it's, it it just looks like an afterthought in a way. I, I appreciate, I understand why you've got it in the, in there, and there are some joyful bits with the, you know, especially using the sausages as a kind of strippers, mm. uh, but and it and it it's great. But you it just, I, I think once I learned that it was under rehearsal, you kind of then 
you pretend that you you pretend that you knew that yourself. Do you see? I mean, you can't yeah, um, yeah. you can't sort of unsee it. Yeah, and, it, and it's like I think there are song and dance for me. There are song and dance numbers that more accurately reflect mm. what. But I can I can understand why civilians like yourself. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> but also uh, Kevin, I'm going to just normies. Yeah, to be honest, when they did the um, the grapefruit bit. I didn't even twig until you. No, no, no. I, I, I didn't. I didn't. Uh, none of us I did was, at the time. I still it, didn't it, until you it, just it, told me. Yeah. It, it's again, mind. again. It's only on later viewing with with people pointing that out to me that you kind of mm. go, uh, oh yeah, yeah, I do. But yeah. it, it, it's absolutely completely innocent. But, you know, they they wouldn't have made that connection. But I, I do understand why a lot of people really like it and it, it is yeah. joyous and, and you know there's a, some great jokes with the flipping the pancakes up yeah they're not coming down but yeah <laughs> yeah yeah i'm just gonna i'm just gonna pretend that i could see all the technical issues <laughs> that's fair enough i meant to say while we were having our uh our middle age break uh earlier on um i looked on ebay you can buy the morecambe and wise special annual for four pounds 99 on really? ebay oh, well, yeah, it's a 1977 to... special so i want to see uh, that, would, that kevin keegan thing i, I would thoroughly recommend it yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah um okay so that was um was that my number five no my five, number five yeah. so we're on to you kevin for your number four please uh, number four is a bed scene uh it's the bed scene with arguably the best one-liner of all Morecambe and Wise things. It, it famously, Eddie Braben, the the writer on the BBC shows, because what happened when they when they uh, Eric had a heart attack at the end of the ITV series, and it was they weren't sure in 1968 whether he would work again, and 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 Sid and Dick, his writers decided to take that opportunity to to look for other work and they got um a, a contract uh, at, at ITV as producers and and writers on all sorts of things so they they left Eric and Ernie basically so Eric and Ernie had no writing and famously Eric said he, he only found out they got on a plane to Mallorca to recuperate from his heart attack and the air stewardess said I'm sorry to hear your writers have left you and he didn't know about it. so they then got offered the BBC series and this chap called Eddie Braben um, was asked to write for them. Eddie Braben had written for Ken Dodd and Eddie Braben uh, very interestingly talks about the fact that he didn't like Morecambe and Wise. He went to meet them uh, to say that he didn't want to write for them uh, because he just didn't like the, the the dynamic of their double act. He didn't oh, like right. the, the, he didn't like the the wisecracking straight man for one of the better yeah you kind of a wisecracking straight man but the, the clever clever straight man and the slightly dumb thing but he said they had such a long boozy lunch and he he saw the way they were of each other and he took the job because he thought that he could replicate that relationship in the bbc series and it probably took two series of the bbc for that to really really work and that's when the what we all consider i think the classic and walk and wise kicked in but he also talks about and whether this is to, he, he also talks about persuading Eric and Ernie to do these scenes in the bedroom that they'd established that they were living together and Eddie had this idea that very innocently that they should sleep together as well um and and at the time in the early 70s like, like my dad I remember my dad once said to me he never 
slept on his own. He, as a kid, he shared with his brothers. Mm. Then he joined the army and he, and he shared with 12 others. And then he was in the Navy and he shared with three others. And then he got married. So it, it wasn't an uncommon thing. And my Irish uncles would come over from work and would share a bed, which I know because it was my bed. I had to sleep on the sofa. <laughs> so it wasn't an unusual thing. But, but Eric, Eric apparently worried that people would think it was effeminate or strange. And famously, Eddie had to say, well, if it's good enough for Lauren Hardy, it's good enough for you, surely. Exactly. exactly. But Eric insisted, oddly enough, that he should be smoking a pipe most of the time in bed to make it look like there was nothing effeminate or gay in this in this relationship, yeah. which I don't think anybody would have thought that anyway. And, and that's possibly the theory that in a famous episode of Porridge, where the wives and partners visit the prisoners and lukewarm played by Christopher Biggins, who's the gay prisoner, his partner visits him and he's smoking a pipe on the bus, which was apparently was Dick Clement and Neil little little dig at walking around saying gay people do smoke pipes. Right. But, but whatever, what you've got in these bed scenes is, is two blokes in the same bed arguing about who's got the soft side of the mattress or the, Breezy, so I and they it's just an excuse, and this is the, the most famous one from 1973 where they're in bed together. Eric Ernie's reading the Financial Times, Eric's reading the uh, the Dandy or the Beano, and, and it starts with, with Ernie going, I, I don't, I just don't get it, I just don't understand it. Argentinian stocks have gone up, and, uh, and Eric says, oh, I've got the same problem. Yeah, I have desperate Dan's just eaten three cow pies and he's still hungry. So it's like that sort of really <laughs> innocent thing. But uh, it, it, it um. leads to so that the, the whole sketch, seven minute sketch is Eric's really upset because there's a draft coming in from his side of the bed and he keeps trying to con Ernie out of his side of the bed. And it's the one where it, 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 Eric gets up to investigate a, uh, something at the window there's there's a red and, and as he gets up the police car goes by the siren goes by and, and he utters one of the greatest one-liners in the history of british comedy he's not going to sell many ice creams going at that speed <laughs> exactly. uh, which is which is such a brilliant i mean in any other sketch that would be the punchline of the sketch and, yeah and by all accounts eric simply couldn't wait to do it and in rehearsal eric kept mucking up because he was so excited about doing it but he times it perfectly, and it's fantastic. And then the, the punchline is that uh, Eric says, I think you should come and see this. And he, he says, well, there's, a, there's a, a red sky. And so and he says, oh, red sky at night, shepherd's delight. And Eric says, no, no, red sky at night, your bank's on fire. <laughs> so and he jumps out, and Eric jumps in. But it's just it's just the... The, the ludicrousness of two middle middle-aged men in bed together just because why you know you don't know why surely they, they can afford two rooms you, you imagine but they just seem to like to be sleeping together and they just bicker <laughs> and it but it just underlines their characters that eric's is basically schoolboy and ernest is you know thinks he's cleverer than everybody else and there's another bedroom sketch where they have an argument you know ernie starts to remind eric that he had much better christmas presents than he ever did you know i had a bag of till and ernie mouse and he's and and he says, I had a little dinky. <laughs> and Eric says, you still have. And he's like, it's it's just, again, it's just joyous, basically. It's just mm. 
joyful. I mean, child. You don't, you don't think of asking questions about it, do you? That's the thing. You, no, you don't. As a kid, you don't. But even now, you you kind of no. go. You don't have to explain it. You just take it for granted. I don't. I think it doesn't bother me that you're in bed together. No, and I think uh, that when when you equate it to Laurel and Hardy, because Neil and I are both massive Laurel and Hardy same, fans. Same here. There you go. That's yeah. that, well, there you go. That's the next one, then, isn't it? Top ten Laurel and Hardy. Yeah, yeah. Well, 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 poor people did share. But I mean, as like I said, pe- people shared beds in those days. It wasn't. Yeah. And nobody turned a hair with Laurel. And, uh, yeah, we should. I mean, Laurel and Hardy. I mean, that would take me six months that might have to be a two-part yeah, it might it may well have to be so, yeah well this, this this one's turning into a two-part it is close to it it is close, to it. It is close to it um uh, go on then neil you're number four so my number four we've spoken about watching modern wise with your family your parents and everything like that but sometimes things stick with you for the rest of your relationship with your family and a you're adorable when they do that is is something that's stuck between me and my dad still to this day so whenever i will say to my either one of us might not hear what we say and rather than just go pardon excuse me we go hey and there it, there it goes straight away we're into it and we still do it so that started from when i first saw it when i was younger we started it and we still do it to this day um it's just one of those things and that's why i put that really high for that reason you know the reason I, of the I, I, unity I think that's beautiful. I, I generally do. It, it it speaks of the power of comedy as well. That mm. y- yeah, you and your dad probably watched a lot of TV together. But yeah. it's that it's yeah. that throwaway thing that 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 sticks. You know, and I it's yeah. I, I, I find that really quite touching. To be honest, it's brilliant. You know, so oh, bless you. And it's but yeah, we, like we say, my dad's going to be eighty next year, which I still can't get over. And... Yet to this day, we still do it. Either one of us, or even yeah. if my mum, yeah, a we both of it usually come out in unison and do it to her. Yeah, it was, it was the um, it was the second anniversary of my dad's passing yesterday, so it's it's been oh. a bit of a difficult. But my I, my dad and I were very close, mm. but he loved coming. And to, again, unfortunately, Benny Hill. He just loved Benny Hill. He loved Benny Hill. Mm. And every now and again, it, my dad would, would just out of nowhere go, "Why are you not crapping?" And it's like, unfortunately, he would pick some of the the, the less right on Benny Hill things. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, but, but he just Benny Hill made him laugh more than anything else. And it's like he loved Morecambe and Wise. He loved Lauren Hardy. My mm. my genuinely my earliest memory is watching. Um, Lauren Hardy with um, my dad as a kid sitting on my dad's lap with him laughing and it was below zero so it was it was was snowing on Lauren Hardy and it was snowing outside it was Christmas it was like nice uh, and my my, my son Ed loves Lauren Hardy as much as as I do I I think it's Morecambe and Wise there's a certain it's like Ali will watch Morecambe and Wise me and Ed but there's a certain maleness there's a certain silliness i think that that because men are more childish anyway it's the same with laurel and hardy i I think it's this is a sweeping generalization i know lots of women who love laurel and hardy but i think it's more of a laurel and hardy it's a more of a male thing i think you're right i think their fan base is probably more exclusively male than it is female and i think there's an element of that with 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 more common wise because i think men kind of we've all got mates that you, you behave differently with, that you're more comfortable mm. with, that you have a, a lifetime's worth of references about. 
and it's the same. Yeah, you talk about you and your dad going, "Hey, it's adorable." There'll be hundreds of people that what the what's that all about? Mm. And mm. you know, you, yeah, you don't need to explain it to to your close mates. You just get the references. It's like that's it. It's, it's uh, fantastic feeling. Yeah. It's lovely. Yeah, that's a great one. Uh, okay, my number four um, is Shirley Bassey and oh. the Stage Hands. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, I love that kind of hidden comedy. I love those mo- those slow reveal moments and uh this sketch is full of them whether it's uh they're cranking the stage <laughs> behind so everything's looking glam and gl- glamorous and showbiz with Shirley Bassey she starts moving around and then it's just Eric and Ernie in their brown coats just you know moving it around like Windy Miller right. um there you go kids there's, a, there's, a, <laughs> there's another, another name for you um and also to the point that they have to give her one of uh one of their boots as she's walking down the stage, um, it's just a, a, a great, great sketch. Yeah, uh, I, I, I would have chosen that. I've chosen something similar for number three, but it's one of those where you you wonder how Shirley Bassey's agent explained it to her exactly, yeah, yeah. Or, or, or whether they just said, "Look, Walker and Wise want you." She just goes, "Yeah, great, fine," and then exactly, and then they explain it to her because again, it, she's I mean, such a beautiful woman, such a brilliant singer happily agreeing to to end up wearing a pair of bother boots essentially at the end and she's trying to sing all the way through it gamely yeah. trying to sing all the way through it uh, you know because any any other show they would just say yeah, we want you to come on sing we'll pay you a thousand quid whatever here and again the, right the stairs are going to fall apart you know you're going <laughs> you're going to lose your stairs. it's like it's great yeah yeah it's fantastic it um okay then so kevin what is that number three well, it's it's an almost identical. But I could have chosen the Shirley Bassey one, but I chose the Penelope Keith one uh, from '77. Uh, and Penelope Keith um, was was the star of The Good Life. She played the very posh character in The Good Life. Uh, I, I found her really sexy then, and I find her really sexy now. But but she was a very aloof character, and there's a, she ends up in a in a sketch. They do this Serrano de Bergerac sketch. And there's a great line, I can't remember what character Ernie's playing, and, and he says, what would it take for you to kiss me? And she says, chloroform. <laughs> but, she, but she does it perfectly. But she, she, so, they, so she comes on at the start. And, and one of the, the genius things that Eddie Braben did is that if you watch the ATV shows, the ITV shows, um, Eric and Ernie are on the floor. They're just on the studio floor. But when... They went to BBC and they got Eddie Braben in as their writer. Eddie, Eddie clocked their, you know, these are stage performers. So he raised, and remember Barry Cryer telling me all about this. So he, he came up with this idea that they just built a tiny little stage on the studio floor. It was only raised a foot up, but they added, so it, it was a proper stage and they added curtains to it. So it, it looked like Eric and Ernie were on stage in a theatre, but in a TV studio. And it gave them the opportunity to do all this stuff from behind. Mm-hmm. So many of the jokes involve, you know, giant ventriloquist dummies, legs coming out or Eric's arm coming out. And But also it's just a great, because they would stand in front of the, the, the theatre curtain uh, and then bring their guests on at the start. And Penelope Keith comes on and she's she just brilliant from the start. Because when they start to take the mickey out of her, Eric, so Eric comes on, uh, and she just calls him Derek all the way through. <laughs> and it's a really simple thing because normally the, the famous guest stars don't answer back until much later on. But right from the start, 
and obviously it was written for but she takes control of this this situation and and so she gets his status right at the start it's brilliant so they establish that she's she's actually in command of this thing and then there's a there's five minutes of eric and only stuff and then they it cuts to this wonderful uh hollywood style curtain thing this huge great sweeping staircase and uh, eric and ernie are in the the top hat and tails and penelope keith is in this thing because she's she's only agreed to do the show if he, she can do a big hollywood number and so they do it it's great and the music's playing and they they sweep down the stairs and then suddenly it's revealed that the, 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 the stairs only go halfway so the, the, the rest of the stairs, the rest of the stairs are gone. So there's a ten foot drop. All you can see is the scaffolding. Yeah. Uh, and and Eric, Eric just goes. So Eric and Ernie just sort of go to the sun. There's a little bit of muttering and mumbling. Right? So, and she just says, "Can I'm, I'm, I've got vertigo." And Eric says, well, what, "What's your stomach got to do with anything?" She says, "No, no, I'm scared. I'm scared of heights." <laughs> and and they go, "Well, there's no other way down." And of course, there is in real life. If somebody was just help, but you just buy into the fact that they're stuck on the top of this staircase. <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> and she, so Eric starts climbing down, and Penelope keeps his eye. I can't. Eric <laughs> his spirit. He just says, "Do something with the dress, love." Uh, and she she shoots him this look this look at that. But then it's just this brilliant three-minute slapstick thing where they're trying to they're trying to retain her dignity. So she like hoists her dress up, right, and and puts this sort of takes her head down, and, and they're just trying to get her down from this. And they're aware that she's a dignified lady, and she's just and it it ends. Eric's beautifully timed because Eric just sort of goes to wipe his brow, knocks his top hat off, and then as she's they get her down. Her stiletto goes through Eric's top hat. <laughs> That's right. And, right. And, but then inst- instead of just stopping and take, they just carry on with the number. So the music starts again. So she's her hair's down all over the place. Uh, Eric puts his top hat on, and it's got her shoe stuck in the top <laughs> hat. And they just carry on the number as though nothing had happened. It's just, it, it's just again. I, I'm using that word joyful, but it's just the way, the brilliant way they use. The guest stars and the Shirley Bassey thing is exactly the same. The brilliant way they get these mm-hmm. huge people that we that we love, who are happy to play against character. But it's just great that every now and again they bring somebody on like Penelope Keith who goes, you know, no, no, I want to be the boss in this one. And they go, fine, great, because mm-hmm. that, that works, you know, because yeah, they yeah. they get to the essence of what their character is. It's it's it's, it's lovely. I love it. And there's definitely something about Penelope Keith as well. It's, uh, it, I, I don't know what it is. It's, it's like I know traditionally men of our age at that time would have found Felicity Kendall mm. very attractive, but for me it was Penelope. There's something about the sternness of Penelope Keith. <laughs> yeah, and it's one of the uh, for me. I, I wasn't a huge fan of the Good Wife, I have to say, because I understand what the young ones are saying about it being quite twee and very middle class. Um, but the episode, and it, it's a Christmas episode where they're playing charades, um, and and Penelope Keith gets drunk and starts getting really flirty and inappropriate. Oh, right. It's just, it's just, I think it's, it's just fantastic. <laughs> she starts to come out of herself and, and starts, and, and she starts to realize that she's being flirted with and she starts coming out of these double entendre. And it's like, I remember as a kid thinking, oh my God, I wish my mum and dad weren't in the room. It's like, it's <laughs> <laughs> but, but, but Morecambe and Wise and Eddie Braben were brilliant at just picking the thing out. In, it's like the, the Elton John one. It's like you know, Elton John's really cool, so they just find loads of ways of 
making Elton John not go. As, as mm. At one stage, they have Elton John travelling around a building, and it's one of the few times they use sort of non-studio bits. He's travelling around trying to find his dressing room, and, and he opens one door, and Arthur Lowe's in there for no apparent reason, and his Captain Mannering character, who just goes, who are you? So it's all this time, Elton John, who comes on as this big flash, I'm the king of rock and roll, they spend 40 minutes just undermining him completely <laughs> until at the end he gets his big number. But it's like they 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 clearly sat down and worked with the, the the stars and said how far they were prepared to go. Yeah. But as you as you mentioned before, Pav, it was a great honour for these people to be asked to do Morecambe and Wise. Yeah. Yeah. That's mm. got to be a, a, a tick off the box. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. On, on the list, yeah. Um, okay, then, Neil, your number three was uh, Breakfast, Breakfast Strippers. Yep. Yeah. Uh, my number three is the tap dance routine. So you have, I don't know how many, exactly how uh, many yeah, dances uh, there are. Uh, There's about 12 of them in the end. Isn't 12 there? in the end. But Eric and yeah. Ernie are on the ends, basically, to start with. So you can just about see them. They're both being covered by the uh, the side yeah. curtains. And then every time they go and do a bit of a, a dance yeah. routine, they're getting caught and they're getting stuck in between the other dancers. And that ends up with a little bit of a fisty cuffs. Yeah. I just, the timing on it is just fantastic. And, and, just the way that they get into it looks like they're about to have their big moment of doing some kind of tap dancing and then the rest of them sort of start <laughs> moving yeah. in front of them or moving their hats yeah. so that you can't quite see their faces it's just it's just great it's about two or three minutes long but yeah, and they're all they're all younger and because it starts with eric and early together that's right and, th and then this chorus line come on i think it's six on each side and they're all younger and taller than yeah. eric and ernie and very good looking and yeah well, don't they? Don't they? I think they go to the side and then like two or three join, don't they? And then they yeah, yeah, and, along. And, and each time, so it ends and up with twelve. Yeah, absolutely. So it yeah. ends up like a whole ensemble of them. But, but yeah, it's such yeah, a good one. But, if, and, but it, the, I mean, that must have taken a week to rehearse the choreography. Oh, easy, because oh, they got the time in perfection. Yeah, but, but again, the, the the joy of it—I can't stop using that word—is is the fact that the the dance captain had obviously said to them you can't laugh it's really important that you can't laugh but it's clearly so difficult for them not to laugh especially when eric's getting really cross with it threatening one of them That's... at the end with the cake it's like well can they start rolling so around rolling around the floor yeah, yeah, and everything yeah, yeah. don't they but... yeah yeah yeah, it's such a good one. It's such a good one. That that is on uh, YouTube, so that will go on the uh, Patreon video playlist. Um, okay, so Kevin, you're number two, please. Number two, I, I think a lot of people would say this is the most iconic Eric and Ernie sketch, and the one that most people can quote from. It's the Andre preview one, the Andre Previn one um, from 1973. Uh, Andre Previn at the time was one of the most famous people in the world. Yeah. Uh, he was um, a conductor, but he was American. I can't remember his European background, but he was from, but, and he was going out with Mia Farrow. He was like this sexy young conductor. Um, uh, and what's interesting is, A, they got him to do it, which is incredible. B, it's 13 minutes long. And C, they assumed that the audience knew about classical music. Mm. which they would have done because um, schools all had music rooms and music teachers at the time. A lot of adverts had classical music as, a, as their theme tunes. We talked about the audience before. During the war, uh, concerts were free to get into and music. So classical music was something that was in the consciousness of people in a way that it simply isn't now. And you, you simply wouldn't, if you tried to sell a 13-minute sketch to someone now, 
they would laugh at you. If you tried to sell a 30-minute sketch that had the London Symphony Orchestra in it, they would laugh at you. And if you tried to sell them a sketch that involved around knowledge of the thing, but there's Andre Previn, and, and again, this is a, it's become the stuff of legend that Eric got very agitated because Andre Previn couldn't rehearse. He, he simply didn't have the time to rehearse. And they, right. they used to rehearse for three to four weeks with the guest stars. And Eric said, no, he, if he can't rehearse, he's not doing it. And in, in, in fact, somebody from the production team met Andre Previn at the airport uh, with the script. And Andre Previn learned it in the car on the way there. They didn't even rehearse it in the studio. And Eric was apparently sick with anxiety about this. But Andre Previn does it perfectly. So it starts with just him and Ernie. And uh, Ernie says, thank you so much for coming to conduct this. And it's not, it's a different piece of music. And Ernie, uh, Andre says, well, I, you know, I've always wanted to work with Yehuda Minouin. <laughs> uh, and Yehuda Minouin was a really well, was a world famous violinist at the That's time. Right, he used yeah. to, uh, and there's this brilliant comedy. So the first two minutes is this great running joke because uh, he says Yehuda Minouin and Ernie goes, who? And then uh, Andre Preben explains who he is. And Ernie went, oh, there's a slight problem there with Yehuda Minouin. And Andre Previn goes, who? So there's this there's this thing where they both keep doing that. Um, and it turns out Yehudi can't do it because he's he's double booked with a panto in Blackpool, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> which, is, which is just a great conceit anyway. Yeah. But so Andre Previn keeps saying, I'm, I'm, well, I'm not doing it. You've got me here under false pretenses. And he says, no, 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 we've got the other, we've got the second greatest classical pianist in the world. And, and he introduces Ernie. Uh, Eric, rather, who clearly has no idea about classical music, and there's there's a a, a bit where Andre Previn says, "Oh, okay, right, I'll, I'll do it, but I'm I'm just going to go and get my baton." Uh, pause. It's in Chicago, <laughs> right. which he delivers, and you can see Eric go. Pow. Eric actually goes, "Pow! Wow, he's in," because Eric looks nervous at the start for the first time ever, but then he realizes that Andre Previn's got it. He understands it. He knows what he's doing. Because the one thing Eric said to him in the half hour they had was, don't ever be anybody else under Andre Previn. You don't know, as far as you're concerned, this is all serious. Yeah. And then you go into the, and just the, the music stuff when he, the, the bit where Eric says, you're coming in too early. And he says, how many bars? He says, this far. And he, he <laughs> holds his hand and it's just, <laughs> yeah. And the, and the, and the orchestra, the other bit is brilliant. The orchestra, are just pissing themselves all the way through. Yeah. yeah. Because this orchestra, the conductor is the king. No one ever takes the piss out of the conductor. <laughs> so not only is it a conductor, it's 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 Andre Previn. They're taking the piss out of Andre Previn. And they love it. And then of course you've got the the, the greatest you know, you're playing you're playing all the all the wrong notes. Yeah. And, and there's a just a brilliant reaction from Ernie because Ernie just goes only buys into it that you've you've insulted the greatest and it, yeah the classic i'm playing all the right notes but not necessarily <laughs> in, in the, the right order. order which my my father-in-law who was a methodist minister god rest his soul i loved him to bits but he's quite a serious man it goes with the job but he if ever he was stressed or annoyed after a long day vickering <laughs> you would just put him down in front because he he loved it. He loved that piece of music. And you talk about you know, your dad and the A, it's adorable. 
he, he Ian never lost any opportunity to say I'm playing all the right notes, <laughs> but not necessarily in the right order. And again, it's just to extend that Ed, Ed, you know, Ed who plays Ed would play the piano with him and get the notes wrong, just so Ian, my foreigner, could say to Ed, "You're playing all the, yeah, you know, just <laughs> you're playing all the right notes." And again, it's that power of that the, the power of comedy. Yeah, yes, it and, really and is. It, it, it's just it's thirteen minutes long. It's just it's, and of course you can look at it now. You go, well, they're all all white middle class middle aged men, but it's like, and and rightly so, you wouldn't cast it like that these days. But at the time, it, it's just almost it's almost perfect. If it wasn't for the fact that my number one choice, I think, is perfect, mm. then this would be that you know. But I, I, I know for a lot of people, this is the people who have never seen Morecambe and Wise will say I'm playing all the right notes but not necessarily in the right and the fact that he grabs you who the uh, he grabs Andre Previn. he grabs Andre Previn <laughs> and then nose to nose and nose to nose to nose and Andre Previn is just straight faces it just deadpans it out completely yeah is is brilliant if you if you didn't know you'd think that Andre Previn was a comedy actor or yeah. or, or had that six weeks rehearsal so mm. it, it's it's really incredible given the circumstances, but that one moment when Eric goes, "Pow, he's in, he's got it," mm. is is wonderful. It's great, and and I think it's Ernie's finest moment as well because Ernie trying to broker his way between Eric and 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 Andre Preview, and the fact that it, it's it's never not the fifteenth time they say Mister Preview, it's just really funny, and then of course it again cuts to the start of next year's Christmas special, which the, the first scene is. Andre Previn, a bus conductor, and, and it, it pans out. <laughs> yes, right. I, I was on the Morecambe Wise show once. This is what happens to me. He presses the bell, the bell. Oh, it's just, I forgot about right. that. Yeah. I forgot about that one. It's, yeah. it's, a, it's a year later, and they're doing a running joke, and, and they yeah. get Andre yeah. Previn back in the full bus conductor's uniform. It's brilliant. That is fantastic. Yeah. It's it's such a good sketch. I mean, look, there's it no is. no secret. It's, it's my number one. I've got it as my number well, one. Well, it's so. my number one as well. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I just yeah. I think it's and the thing is, it doesn't feel like 13 minutes. That's the thing. Yeah, it, yeah, it's, yeah. it's beautifully crafted. And again, you were I, I didn't know the whole backstory of the fact that Andre Previn didn't have the, yeah, the no. rehearsal. You would never know that. No, exactly. And the thing is, with all of these top stars, the only way that it, that it works is if they play it completely deadpan. Mm. If they've got a glint in their eye or if they're yeah, winking yeah. at the camera, it will never work. Yeah. So it's yeah, almost that's, like you're, you, that's the whole point, is you're looking at this amazing artist being absolutely torn to shreds yeah. by these two buffoons. Yeah. Yeah, because yeah. it's, it, it, it's Eric's job to know what's going on and to wink e at the camera. Exactly. But even in this... One Eric plays it completely straight as well. Eric's like, I, I, who is who's this idiot to tell me that I'm not playing it properly? Yeah, like, yeah. So much so and, that and the, the whole come around at the end is that Andre Previn then plays it the way that Eric Morgan was yeah, playing yeah. it. Exactly. Yeah. But, they, but as I mentioned earlier, they did do that. They did a, like a three minute version of that sketch in the ITV show, right? In the in the sixties. So they they were very good at keeping his ideas up their sleeve. Yeah, yeah. And just and somebody would have said, why don't we do that again? Why? Well, it would work if we get Andre Previn. And somebody would say, we'll never get Andre Previn. And somebody else would say, well, you might as well ask. 
Yeah. Well, uh, and would, it would have all been done by letter in those days or transatlantic phone call. But I mean, Kevin, that's how we got you on the podcast. Thought, <laughs> well, we're never going to get Kevin Day on the podcast. Let's do a bit, let's do a bit of fishing. Let's put, so, a, yeah. let's, let's put never, a Twitter. Let's put a Twitter trail out there and see if he follows these crumbs. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> um, but, I mean, it shows the test of time as well. Whenever they show greater sketches, that seems to be uh, oh, one it, that it, they uh, always uh, use. Uh, isn't yeah. It? Yeah, and 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 rightly so as well. Mm. Yeah, because yeah, I, I think I think. You said it, Neil. The the hit. Yeah, you watched again. I watched a lot of sketches for this, and it. Yeah, you you kind of go. Actually, I remembered more jokes in it, but there's always a good hit rate in the sketches. But yeah. that that one, there's not a wasted line in. in no, that one. no. And like I say, the, the the joke, which one's the fixer, which is a joke just for the orchestra. Mm. It's great, and it's. I, it's it's almost them at the height of their powers. Were it not for what we're going to talk about as my number one, basically. yeah, no problem. Okay, so Neil, your number two was Bring Me Sunshine. It was. Uh, my number two, I'm going for the 75 Christmas special uh, and uh, the whole Des O'Connor stuff. Oh. Um, <laughs> I, I, I mean, I love the fact that they had this whole back and forward you know, with, with Des O'Connor. He was a, a constant person that they kept taking the piss out of. Um, and the fact that they're 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 absolutely slamming him to start with, and they don't realise that he stood right behind them, uh-huh. uh, and then all of a sudden they change their mind, say how great they are, and then they'll they'll let him sing, but they're not going to let him sing. And um, Des O'Connor was one. I don't think Des O'Connor ever made it in America, did he? He was quite a, a British. He was. Um, I think for your American listeners, Des O'Connor was uh, a, a not bad singer. No, but he, he was. Okay. He, he was a very middle of the road. Had um, a style. Uh, sort of entity. He had his own show. He was he was really well known. He had his own show on ITV, like two series a year. Yeah. So he was very successful. But they were old mates. They were, you know, yeah. they yeah. they tell this story about doing the Glasgow Empire, which was traditionally the hardest place in the world. Um, it's a story that Eric loved telling when Ernie walked on, uh, what on a Friday night at the Glasgow Empire, and and said something, and then Eric came on. To complete silence, and his Glasgow voice shouted out, "Fuck me!" There's two of them. <laughs> uh, but they tell the story which Des O'Connor, Des O'Connor was so worried about it, he pretended to faint as he as he went on. So because oh, really? he was just so scared. So so Eric and Ernie and Des were old mates, but Des O'Connor was canny enough to. And he always said this. He said every time Eric and Ernie took the piss out of him, he sold five thousand albums. Yeah. Basically, because they, they and, and then again, but there was real affection, and they were quite cruel to him. But there was real affection. Oh. There was real affection there as well, mm. and, and which the audience picked up on. You know, it's like audiences are very clever at picking up on real, real tension. But there was no real tension there, and it was just childish taking the Mickey out of someone who's standing there behind him, and they go, "Oh, we didn't realize." Was it, was was it them that did the sketch, um, the brief sketch with the fishing, or was that Russ Abbott? I Do you remember where they had the fish, the um, record player, and they put the Des O'Connor record on there, and then cast it out in? That the... would have been them, yeah. Because I don't yeah, think anybody else all would have. Fish jumped. Out yeah, it was them. That's right. Because the one thing about that this bit is they actually let him sing, and he's walking down the stairs. Yeah. And he just he keeps going, but he keeps going down and disappears. Yeah. While Eric and Ernie are walking along the, the, the edge of the stairs, and then they get to the bottom and they shake hands, and then they just go. Yeah, right. yeah it's so Great. good. Okay, before we uh, find out what Kevin's number one is, uh, Kevin, do you want to just run down your ten to two? Neil will do the same, uh, and then I'll do the same. Yes. So hang on, let me get my papers. So number ten 
I had the top of the form sketch from 1970. At number nine, I had the mastermind sketch from 1974. Number eight was the Beatles, 1964. Number seven was Cliff Richards, 1973. The reindeer sketch from 1972 is at number six. Number five was Mutiny on the Bounty, Monty on the Bounty. Number four was the uh, bed scene and the police car ice cream joke. Penelope Keith, number three, and Andre Preview at number two. Lovely. Neil, mm. your ten to two. So my number ten is The Jungle Book. Number nine, The Frankenstein Sketch. Number eight, The Banana Boat Song. Number seven, Boom, Ooh, Yatatata. Number six, Cleopatra with Glenda Jackson. Number five, Singing in the Rain. Four, A. You're adorable. Number three, breakfast and the dance routine. And number two, bring me sunshine. Lovely. And mine is number 10, bring me sunshine. Number nine, singing in the rain. Eight, there is nothing like a dame. Seven, the uh, bag trick. Six, Tom Jones backup. Five, the breakfast strippers. Four, Shirley Bass's stage hands. Three, the tap dance routine. And at number two, Des O'Connor's 75 Christmas special. So, Kevin, what is your number one Morecambe and Wise sketch stroke moment? Uh, I th- I think most people listening would have realised by now what it's going to be. And it's from 1972. It's Glenda Jackson in the Anthony and Cleopatra, which <clears throat> I think there's a three minutes uh, stretch in this sketch, which I, I would not, it sounds a bit pretentious to say represents for me the high watermark of British comedy, but I think is probably if you had to choose a moment that was the best British comedy ever, and that's the, the highest of praise, um, it would be for that. It's just, and it's really interesting as well, because it's the the famous line, all men are fools and what makes them so is having beauty like what I have got. Because <laughs> they set it up at the start of the thing in, in, the, in the living room, Brenda Jackson comes in uh, and it's quite amusing and, they explain that they've uh, Ernie's rewritten Anthony and Cleopatra because Shakespeare didn't do a particularly good job. Uh, and it all leads, so they're kind of rehearsing her and, and Ernie reads this line out and she's just horrified by this, like, it's clearly the worst line and she tries to phone her agent. So, but it, it, what people forget is actually the first thing Glenda Jackson says in the sketch, she comes on with her assistant, the female um, that servant, and literally says all men are fools and what makes them so is having beauty like what I have got. And it gets half a laugh and you think, okay, that's that dealt with. Um, and then you know, Ernie plays uh, her, her erstwhile wooer and his, um, her, her servant says, uh, I can't remember what character all sorts, but he's Octavian, I think. Uh, he's here to see you. He loves you terribly. She says, "Yeah, I know. I found that out last night." <laughs> Which is like, and then, so, and it's it's got it's got every sort of um, Egyptian stereotype you like. Um, and she says, I, th- "I think we're being watched." And he says, "No, you're being paranoid." So they open the curtains, and there's Eric uh, as the face of the Sphinx looking through the window, which is a really funny visual gag. And then Eric comes in. And says, I have a meet. Uh, it's, just, it's a line that makes me laugh every time. I've, I've got a message for you from, from Julius and Caesar. And she says, Julius and Caesar. And he says, Yes, he's had an accident with his sword. 
<laughs> which, is, which is just a great, but it's just full of great. And there's one bit, it's the way she does it. There's one bit where, um, so, so it, it all leads up. So Ern, Ern is, Ern's trying to find out, Eric's trying to find out what's happening between Cleopatra and Ern. So he pretends, she she says, like, leave me alone with him, I'll find out. And she's flirting with Eric. And there's a line, she's just so disgusted with herself for having to say it because it's such terrible. And she says to Eric, uh, are you okay? Your heart is pounding like a whippet in a bowler hat. Right? Which is just, it's, it's the way she delivers it, knowing it's a terrible line, but knowing it's also, this is, it's meant to be Anthony Cleopatra, and she's talking about a whippet in a, in a, <laughs> in a, in a bowler hat. hat. <laughs> and, then, and then, of course, you've got the the, the classic three minutes where she and, and Ernie, she calls uh, Ernie over and says, "Like we have to, we have to deal with this. Just leave me alone with him because he's he's got." And meanwhile, Eric is with the 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 bust, the head, and the head starts looking from one to from one to the other. And then she does she does the line again, all men are fools. And what makes them so is having beauty like what I have got. And I think it's probably, I love Shakespeare. I've been to see a lot of, I think it's probably the most perfect delivery of any line <laughs> in comedy sketch ever. It's the way, she's, the contempt yeah. with which she delivers it. But then 15 seconds later, she's trying so hard not to laugh. And Eric's trying so hard to make her laugh. And it's yeah. just a beautiful, beautiful, I'm trying to think of another word for joyous because I keep using it, but you, you can see her and you can almost see every, all these thoughts going, I'm a serious actress. I'm like, this is what, what's happened. But then she can't stop herself. And Eric, Eric wins and she starts laughing. But it's got all sorts of other silly jokes. Like they go into the sand dance, the Wilson, Keppel and Betty thing that you yeah. mentioned earlier on. Eric's slippers, his curly slippers uncurl when she kisses him, and it's all it's like it's, yeah. <laughs> it's, for, for me, it's just everything. Walking and Wise comes together in that in that mm. sketch. The cleverness of the writing, the silliness of the, of the physical jokes, the, the sheer enjoyment they're having, the looks to camera, the references to football, the fact that for some reason he's got a Busby hat on, right. a nineteenth-century cavalry of that. The fact that you've got this wonderful actress who's just gritting her teeth and getting through it—it's—I—I it's, I, I could—I I, I can watch it five times a night. If it's—it's it's wonderful for me. It's—I—I mm. uh, I, 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 I can't actually. I can't see why anybody wouldn't wouldn't love it. I know. I, I remember the first time I was showing it to Ed, and him just seven or eight. Him just getting it and understanding it and. It's it's just it's just and I I've fell in love I've I've been in love with Glenda Jackson for the rest of my life because of because of that because she just gives herself up to it and it's and, yeah. and she she turns up again on other things where mm. Eric Eric rewrites Hamlet and tries That's to right. get about to do the two B or not to do speech and it's like I, I'm, I'm I'm almost getting emotional but it's just like I'm, I'm, yeah it just for me represents something very special in British comedy. Because it encapsulates so many elements of British comedy that have gone before it, and I can understand why an American or a, a Dutch person wouldn't wouldn't get it, because it is peculiarly English. It's very English, but 
there is an English legacy of humour. And, and for me, that just, it takes a hundred years of English humour that has gone before it. It takes everything that Eric and Ernie loved about musical, about slapstick, about film, and it, it, it just puts it all together in one perfect 12-minute package. Mm. Yeah. Do you get emotional because going back to I'm going to put in a marvelism here the marvel the multiverse timeline you're you are on that comedy timeline so does that is that one reason that it makes you emotional because you are it starts with Morecambe and Wise but as it goes through you're on that particular timeline does that make it is that what one reason it makes you emotional do you know what that's a really good question and I'm not implying that you haven't asked really good questions before, but that, but that, that, that is generally that is generally really good. One, I, a, one I, a podcast is good for me. That's fine. I, I'm exceptionally proud of of being a comedian and being part. Somebody once said to me, "Oh, you'll you'll be a footnote in in the history of British comedy," and I said, "I'll take that. I'll take Absolutely. being a footnote in the history of British comedy." And, and I've worked with Bob Monkhouse and and Dave Allen, and I'm very proud of that so maybe there is an element of that you know i'm very proud to be even a small part of that i think the emotional is it's 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 definitely not to do with family because like i say that would be a false memory if i like oh it brings back happy memories of sitting yeah, around the yeah. open fire but i i think it's more to do with the fact that i am i i think comedy is a very important art form i think comedy is is art as much as painting, photography, music is. And I, I, I think it's more the fact I get emotional because I can point to that sketch and say, if you don't believe me, watch that. Yeah. And, and I think it's because, for me, making people laugh is a very noble profession. And I, I genuinely believe that you can talk about any subject, any subject, no matter how serious, as long as you make it funny. And, and you know when people go into theatres or comedy, it says comedy outside. So your your duty is to make people laugh, and I think making people laugh is a noble calling. And I love making people laugh. And sometimes, I, you know, Simon Mayer once said to me, "You you need to get away from the tyranny of laughter. You're an intelligent person. You can talk about stuff, but you need to stop looking for the punchline. Sometimes it's enough to say something that's." interesting but it's like it's very difficult because you want to make people laugh mm. because it's the only way you validate yourself and eric and ernie all they wanted to do was make people laugh and for me that's a really important thing and and for me i mean god forbid i should have anywhere near as much talent as those two had but there is something about them where like i say all these important elements of of english and it's it's english it's not even British, really, because Scottish humour, Irish humour, Welsh humour is, is different. It's English working class comedy, and it all comes together in that in that moment. And I'm very proud that later on, I became part of English working class comedy as well. But that's a, that is an interesting question, one I will give thought to definitely. And talking personally, we're obviously a different level from yourself. If I say something that makes you laugh, Kevin, I tend to think I feel good because you are a professional comedian. And if you find something that either myself or Neil finds funny, I kind of think, wow, that actually makes me feel really good. It, it, it's actually very difficult to make comedians laugh. 
because we make the worst audience. Yeah, I can because imagine. You, you, if, <laughs> if, no, seriously, it's like you because you're constantly trying to say, you watch it. If I sit down and watch a comedian, you're constantly trying to second guess what they're going to do. Right, right. Or you're constantly thinking, well, okay, this is what I would have said. Uh, and in your mind, you might be going, oh, that's great. That's funny. It's like you'll you know, you go and see it. I'll go and see an Edinburgh show and I'll go to somebody else. That was brilliant. I say, you didn't fucking crack a lot. You didn't smile. It's like, but no, I love it. But, but I, I genuinely enjoy, I've, I've spontaneously laughed a lot tonight, which is unusual for, for a for a comedian because we you know it's a cliche but we, it's, the sad clown thing is a cliche but most comics are very serious about what mm. they do and and that's the genius i think of eric and ernie is that and it comes back to the andre previn thing nothing that eric and ernie do looks like it's rehearsed no and the reason it doesn't look like it's rehearsed is because they've rehearsed it for four weeks <laughs> exactly basically uh, to give them the confidence to go on and and, and do it, and that's the best. You know, yeah, I I always I, I don't trust comics who say they don't get nervous before a gig. I don't trust comics who say they don't analyse. Yeah, you know, Ed, my son did a show last night, a preview for his tour, and he came home and said, "Like, how was it?" He went, "Well, I wasn't that happy, but everyone else seemed to like it." And, and that's the default setting of the good comedian, I think, because you're always looking for, and. Eric and Ernie talk about, especially the, the Christmas thing. Eddie Braben talks about the pressure of the Christmas show. Eddie Braben would start writing or thinking about the next, the next Christmas show in January because they knew how important it was to people. And and Eric and Ernie would watch the Christmas show on their own, basically, really, really nervous, and then phone each other up and say, how did it, how was it? And then because they understood how important it was to people, almost some people's Christmas was being made or made made or broken by and it's so to be able to entertain the whole nation is such a difficult thing to do yeah you know to be able to you know famously the the royal family would stop and watch the the Morgan Wise Christmas special in the same way as a, a working class family in Glasgow or Cornwall would so to have that pressure is astonishing but yeah I I, I just get emotional because to me they just represent something that I think is really important, and it's, it's like, and that is making people laugh. Yeah, essentially, completely agree. Um, okay, so Neil, we both had Andre Previn. Uh, do you have any more to say about that? Or I, I think we've covered it beautifully. I, yeah. I think we pretty much did. Uh, let's go on to the honourable mentions. Uh, at Martin underscore FGC said the Andre Previn sketch. At running underscore Neil said, my choice has already been taken, as in the Andre Previn. Another one I love is the kitchen sketch to the stripper theme. Yeah. At Russell Mark 333, the breakfast routine to the stripper music, with the added bonus of a mention of the great Malcolm Allison at the start. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, which is, I, yeah, I saw that, which of course. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and the moment, Beatles, yeah. you've only got a little dad, haven't you? Maybe yeah. That's what we've mentioned earlier on. At Johnny Edwards 771 said, everything they ever did are my top moments. At Lion on Sea, I love everything about Morecambe and Wise, but the Andre Previn sketch was the one f- was one of the funniest things I've ever seen. At Genetian sixty one said Grieg by him and him and Mr yeah. Preview, yeah. the stripper breakfast singing in the rain, Glenda as Cleopatra, Lord Urn of Peterborough, Tom Jones and his backing singers, yeah. Des O'Connor, Angela Rippon, Shirley Bassey, and the set builders and Penelope Keith on the staircase are ten of the best. Uh, at doors. Uh, Okay. Sorry, no, no, sorry, I was just saying that that Lord Ern of Peterborough thing again. 
there are so many of those little moments when they're on stage together for just two minutes. You could have done a special just with those, but all these traits that Eddie Braben made up for Ernie, that he was tight with money, that he had a toupee, yeah. uh, that he had short fat hair short with legs, hairy legs. Stuff, that, that <laughs> Eric clearly loved it, and that whole Lord Ern of Peterborough thing. And it's really odd, because even though Eric lived near Luton, his character clearly thought that the fact that Ernie lived in Peterborough was hilarious. Yeah. You know, and and Ernie Wise bought into that. So again, all those little things added to the the, the whole of the show, you know. And the, all, yeah, the character. So different the character and the mechanics and the, the callbacks and the yeah. Absolutely. Uh, at Dorset Rainbow, anything with Des O'Connor, my husband uh-huh. would say to mention Luton Town FC up yeah, the Hatters. Yeah. Uh, at uh, Broken Sword, all the above, and the Morney Stanit newspaper vendor. Oh, that's a really good one. I can't. I don't know what that one is. Yeah, it was. Um, I, th- I think it was Evening Stanit rather than Morney Stanit. Ah, right. I think okay. it, it's um, it's it's Ernie selling newspapers. It might be Morney Stanit. It's Ernie selling uh, Eric selling newspapers outside a, a railway station, and um, uh, Ernie's in like a top hat, a bowler hat, and a obviously a, commu- a commuter. Um, and Eric's going, Evening, Stanit, Evening, Stanit. Old department. Uh, Ernie goes, No, evening, evening standard. Mm. Evening standard. Um, so over the course of two minutes, he teaches Eric to say it correctly and ends up with Eric going, Evening, standard. And Ernie goes, there you are. And as Ernie walks off, Eric holds the paper up and it's called the Evening Stanit. It's a really good, I think it seems that way. It might be, but that's a really, that's a really good choice. That's a great choice. There you go. I haven't really seen that choice. Okay. Uh, Phil James says he's not going to sell many ice creams going at that speed. Who needs a whole sketch when you have that perfect yeah. delivery of one line? Uh, Mary Walker James said, I had a little dinky once. And yeah. You still have. Yeah. yeah. Paul Osgood with Andre Pre- uh, Previn playing all the right notes, not necessarily in the right order. Yeah. Mark Kempner, Eric, they all say that. I'm not quite sure what that one is. Um, yeah, that's, that's, yeah, that's one of Eric's stock, yeah. stock uh, things. Yeah, yeah uh, very good. Adrian Marsh, there's so many. The Kitchen Breakfast, the News Readers Dance, Andre Previn, Shirley Bass's song, Singing in the Rain. Definitely one act I wish I'd gotten to see live. Uh, and Laura Bourne, uh, the breakfast sketch to the stripper is surely the most iconic. I've seen it a million times, but still always laugh. Yeah. I am. Um, uh, I live near Croydon, Fairfield Halls, and there's um, they one of their one of the few records of their live gigs is like a five minute. Somebody filmed it with a cine camera, then performing at Fairfield Halls, which is brilliant. But um, the first time I performed there, one of the stewards got talking to him. He was a steward that night. At that gig and he he just said i can't begin to explain to you how he said just the hubbub in the audience before the show started and he said it's just amazing so they did about four encores in the audience he said just the love and the affection but i also remember i did a show about 15 years ago in uh, studios in southampton i can't remember the show i've done a lot of terrible mortgage paying stuff in the past <laughs> Uh, but I did this particular show and I was rehearsing something and um, one of the cameramen just went, because this is what camera crew are like, basically they, they're they like football groundsmen, they're bass players, football groundsmen, camera crew, uh, just grumpy buddy. He, he just said to me, you won't make me laugh, mate. I I, I feel more compromise. Oh, so right. I, so I went, so are you saying I'm as funny as 
walking on wires. He went, no, no, I'm saying the opposite. He said, oh, I, 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 it's just that people, it, and you know, those responses you've read out there, people use walking on wires as a, as a standard to compare. Yeah, they really do. Yeah. Other people too, actually. Absolutely do. Well, there you go. We've done it. Um, uh, this will be the end of part two of the uh, Morecambe and Wise top ten. Yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah, we've done it. So. Is that, that's your way of saying I spoke too much again. No, no, no. no, no it's been Honestly, Kevin, Kevin, it means that we get an extra episode out of it, which is great. <laughs> I oh, love okay. it. <laughs> yeah, it's been fascinating. It, uh, that's the thing, is is we get, we get to, I mean, there's stuff that we found out tonight that would never have known you know mm. i've never yeah. known stuff that you've heard from barry crier and legends like that so and you're also like I say you are on that timeline of british yeah. comedy so it's a it's a it's a great privilege it's, it's, and a pre, uh, you know for us to be able to talk to you about these kind of things it's one of the only times i saw barry crier upset i loved barry i was so upset to hear his part he was yeah yeah just so generous and so supportive but there was um uh, a tv drama a few years back about uh eddie braben and Morecambe and wise basically i think stephen tonkinson played eddie braben he's very good but barry got really upset because they showed a scene famously when eric had his first heart attack um and he went i think it was the might have been the first BBC. so uh, eric realized that the audience might be a bit worried about his health so when they went on when he when they got introduced um eric just went keep going you fool which is like got a big laugh but barry was the warm-up man barry did the warm-up i'd say for the for most of their bbc shows and on this uh, uh, drama show eric decides to go on and say that to the audience because the warm-up man who they don't name is barry the warm-up man is dying on his ass and Eric and Ernie are going, this is terrible. We can't, you know, we have to do something about this. And Barry was really upset because he was a valued member of the, the Morecambe and Wise team and, and never died on his ass. And was like, he was really, he took that as a real slur. I can imagine. On his thing. But the, 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 the when, how can you not be excited to sit at Barry Cryer's table and hear him talk about being a warm up man for Eric and Ernie and hear him talk about how they worked together and how they used to get involved it's it's a, a, a play. and that's one of the reasons i like my respect for eric and is so high is because somebody like barry who's a, a, an idol of mine just speaks of them with the the highest of of praise and also speaks about what nice people they were as well yeah yeah what genuinely decent people they were mm. yeah well fantastic talking of genuinely decent and nice people Kevin, yes. Thank you so much for joining us. It's I'm been educating us. An absolute pleasure. Well, I'll say what I said last time. It's it's really nice to do a pod where people are so enthusiastic and excited about their their subject matter, and uh, also take the time. You're doing a different top ten every week, so uh, taking the time to learn about, do your own research. You know. Yeah, even uh, if the if, even if the questions were something that you both came yeah, across, yeah, with, um, you know. <laughs> if I like this pod so much, I'm 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 going to half-heartedly promise one day when you do your top ten Avengers thing, I'll happily do some sort of cameo role. 
<laughs> Neil, Neil can teach me something to drop in. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But I mean, I think I think Lauren Hardy is definitely something that should be yeah. in our future I, in the I new would, year. Without a shadow, I, I would love to do that because um, I, again, I, I'll need to find another word for joyful. Obviously, before then, because yeah, <laughs> that may be a trilogy. That episode, yeah. yeah. Frank, um, uh, Frank Skinner always talked about the fact that when he started going out with a new girlfriend. Um, he would uh, take them home and show them uh, commenced, you know, Lauren Hardy's The Way Out West soft shoe number. Mm. Uh, and if the girlfriend didn't laugh, he just end, would end a relationship That'd there. And then, basically, <laughs> so we, we can't continue. Yeah. That would be fun. That That's would be a it. lot of fun. That'd yeah, no, I'd love fun. to do that. Of course, yeah. Give me an Excellent. excuse to watch them all back to back again. Absolutely. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. Before we actually say our proper goodbyes, Neil, do you want to tell everybody how they can get in touch with us and all the gubbins? Absolutely. So you can find us on all the gubbins. There you are. <laughs> Thank <laughs> you. <laughs> you can find us on all the social media at Top 10 Pods. Uh, email us at top10pods at hotmail.com with any questions, any ideas. Come and help support the podcast at patreon.com forward slash top10pods. And please do come and subscribe. Leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts or wherever else you get your podcast from. And also don't forget to uh, tune in. Tune in. Do they say that these days? Tune in to Kevin and uh, Kieran Maguire's fantastic Price of Football podcast. Uh, The link is in the show notes. And you've got a book as well, haven't you? I'll put that link in the show notes as well. Uh, we have yet yeah, came out last week. It's the book of the podcast. Um, I, I feel honour bound to mention that we are the Radio Times Sports Podcast of the Year. Well, there you go. Oh, uh, fantastic! That such is the demographic of the Radio Times readers that we are <laughs> the the third oldest people nominated for a prize. <laughs> <laughs> yes, our, our book, um, the Price of Football book. Uh, an idiot's guide to owning a football club is out, is out now. So there you go. So you can get that. Just click on the link in the in the show notes, and you'll be able to get yourself a copy of that as well. And then yeah. Kevin, don't forget to get onto eBay straight away I will and do, uh, yeah. get your copy of the Morecambe and Wise Annual from 1977. I, I feel slightly grubby publicising the book now because it feels like this whole three and a half hour exercise. <laughs> It's been leading up to a cheap plug for the book. Uh, <laughs> to be fair, I offered that out. You didn't offer it to me. <laughs> no, no, I offered it to you. So, yeah, I'm not sure know. what the the Morecambe and Wise football finance crossover is in the Venn diagram, but there, there'll be some people Luton out there. Time, surely. It just there, you there, you <laughs> there you go. There you go. What a note to end on. <laughs> what a note to end on. So there you go, everybody. Oh, before we do go, I just have to say... Uh, a big welcome to Paul Duffus and Shannon Barrett, our new two Patreon top heads. Oh, so thank you, thank you Paul, and thank you, Shannon, for your support. Yes. You keep, you literally keep the lights on, so thank you ever so much thank for your you support. Um, and once again, Kevin, it's been an absolute honour and a pleasure to have you with us. I've, I loved every minute. Thank you. Excellent. Thank you very much, Neil. Thank you very much, Pat. Thank you very much, Kevin. Always a joy. Always In, educational. Isn't indeed it, it is. Thank oh. you very much, everybody, for watching and listening. And let's go start the countdown. 10, 
That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health-monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.